This is a story about selling drugs, robbery, losing your family, prison, and feeling like you've lost it all, and then turning it all around. This is also a story about second chances, saving dogs, and also cleaning up your diet and becoming plant-based, and starting the path to entrepreneurship, which also includes books, movies, and so much more. This is the story of the convicted vegan. This is the story about Anthony Bucci, and he's our guest today on the LLA Show. And that starts right now. Let's go. I think I think after everything you've been through, this is not going to be too difficult. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> oh, okay. I want it so bad, you know what I mean? So I don't yeah. want to fuck up. I'm like my own worst critic. Nah, so don't worry about it. You're not going to fuck up. Number one and number two, we just we do a very laid back conversational style show. This we're not going to just berate you with questions yeah, that right. you've probably been asked a million times. We'll just yeah. get a good conversation going. But uh, you know, before we get into everything, what's going on with you now? How how is everything going since you've been out? Everything's been going pretty good. I mean, they've had restrictions on me. Like I have a nine o'clock curfew still in Mexico. I've been doing so good. What happened was we're not on the air right now, right? Uh, we are, no. but we don't we don't have to show this. <laughs> we're, yeah, exactly. we're, we're recording. We're recording, but we don't have to. Uh, no, we don't have it. to deliver this. We can take no, exactly. <laughs> Whatever you want to take out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I was just gonna say they, they had some restrictions on me because they had some worries, but now they don't. They know I've been doing so good that you know they've been lifting them, and supposedly next month I'm gonna be off of everything. So yeah, and I but, can but, but, but when that happens, the government's gonna initiate a 9 p.m. curfew. <laughs> exactly, so it won't even matter. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's gonna be a lockdown after that, so it's just like you know, it's all for nothing. <laughs> I hope they can see by my actions I've changed. Well, what have you been doing since you've been out? Well, first of all, how long how long have you been out? And what have you been doing? I got out October 7th. I got an immediate release. We had a court date, and the judge granted me an immediate release. So I had goals I already had in my head had I got out, and I've accomplished two out of the three. I I rehabbed the condo and sold it. A, I finished my book, which is going into formatting and soon to be, you know, into publishing and all that. And then right. the third, my third dream was the uh, clothing line, and I already did that. So it's just the book that I have left. Yeah. Where did where did you get the capital for all this? Um, well, basically, you know, family members and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm asking because I think it's one of the one of the struggles for a lot of people that have been in the prison system is you get out and you don't exactly have a lot of resources to get things going, start a business, and so forth. Yeah. So what happened was when I rehabbed the condo and stuff for my mother. You know, she's my biggest backer. I mean, she. Whatever I want to do, she back. So we're in this together. Yeah, that's important. That helps. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. That helps, man. Yeah. My mother has had my back since birth, and what happened was, uh, she had a stroke in 2016, and she, now she's paralyzed. Oh. Yeah, she used to visit me every year, no matter where I was, every month. Pennsylvania, driving 500 plus miles, and anyways, she had the stroke, so she has two girls that come to, were taking care of her and stuff. And money was getting tight. So I was the first one when Trump did the prison reform bill. He changed the criteria in yeah. compassionate release. 
Yeah. So I took paralegal classes and stuff, and I drew up a, a motion, and then I wrote some lawyers, and I got this great lawyer named Allison, a girl from uh, South Shore in Massachusetts, and she read my case, and she's been she was helping me before that, and she agreed to go on, come on board pro se, and I was the first one. We were the first ones in the country to win an immediate release to come home and take care of my mother. So that's, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. So, and, and since my, since I got out, I've opened the doors probably for dozens of guys because before me, it was only you could get out for a parent or a child. Right. So I brought in the whole scope of immediate release for the United States. Yeah. Well, let, let's get rid of the elephant in the room. Meaning what, ex how did you end up in prison in the first place? What did you get convicted of? Okay. I got convicted of a one day conspiracy to rob a drug dealer. Hmm. I was, I sat in a car and smoked a cigarette while it was just an elaborate scam scheme, not even like drug robbery to rob this kid. He, my buddy pulled in with the kid. He got out of the car to walk to my car. An undercover policeman pulled into the parking lot and my friend ran away with the drugs. The extent of my part in the conspiracy was sitting in the car and then meeting him later and selling three kilos of cocaine. But because I would not cooperate with the government who wanted that police force, they smashed me. They made me go to trial, never offered me a plea deal, and gave me 21 years. Wow. Yeah. Were, were you engaged in criminal activities before this? Or was I, this I had, just a... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I went to prison before for marijuana, and then I got out, and I was out three and a half years. I was doing nothing. A friend yeah. of mine, you know, wanted me to get involved in this because I, you know, was doing the right thing. I was saying no, 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 and then I gave in to temptation, the easy money, and I did it. And it was only, I wasn't selling drugs at the time. I wasn't in any larger conspiracy going on, yeah. nothing. A one-day conspiracy, 15 minutes, I got 21 years. Yeah. That's just yeah. wild, man. You yeah, said the first time that you went in, it was like a marijuana. How do you feel now, man, when you see so much <laughs> yeah. so much change going on with legalized <laughs> marijuana and people are making billions of dollars off this, but there's so many people still in the system right now who've been serving 15, 20, 30, 40 years it's you know, just for weed. You know, yeah. you know, a pretty much a victimless crime and definitely not a violent crime. You know, how does that, you know, like what's your take on all that now? It's sad. It's really sad because I was caught up in that whole thing, too, a one-day, 15-minute conspiracy. It was the war on drugs, and a lot of guys got caught up in that era, and they're still in. They're still, they should be let out. I mean, come on. Yeah. The stuff It's illegal now. Exactly. So we're, we're talking 15 years ago. So that who was in president then? Was it Clinton Bush. Or, was, or was it Bush Jr.? That was Bush Jr. at that time. Okay. But but before that, but you know this whole thing is riding off Clinton's crime bill, right? Thanks Three to Biden, and you're out and yeah, all thanks to Biden writing it up. You know, people forget about all that stuff now. <laughs> you know, yeah. so yeah. it's kind of forgotten. Yeah. The, the whole marijuana thing's ridiculous. I mean, the, the whole thing about marijuana is it's essentially legal now in a lot of states, which right. to me means that everyone in prison for marijuana-related charges should, should they should just, yeah, yeah, they should just overturn those and say exactly. okay. Now that it's legal, why are you in prison for something that was illegal then, but now it's legal, but you're still in prison because when you did it, it was illegal. It's ridiculous. Right. I got caught up in that, too. I had three cases come down after I was arrested where I would have been out had the law 
you know, affected me. But with the law changed, they won't let you back in. It's crazy. You can't get one. Yeah. It's like the mob. Once you get in, you can't get out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you sound like you've been in the mob. Because <laughs> you sound like it an extra feels, it feels soprano. Like I'm, it feels like I'm, or it feels like I'm watching, watching The Departed right now. <laughs> Just a little bit. When, when, when I hear, I was wondering, well, I'm going to ask you about your present experience, right? What it was like in there and so forth. But when I hear you talk, I have a feeling that you didn't, you did okay in there. Right? <laughs> because you sound like, you sound like a guy who could handle that situation. Exactly. I, I was going to, I was curious to see what you would sound like when we spoke to you because that would I was like, man, he sounds like that, and he was in prison for 15 years. Holy shit! But let, let's let's go back to this. You're convicted, 15 or 21 year sentence. You said, right? Yep. Okay. Now, what were you thinking that first day you're in prison and the bar shut right behind you? Put the pedal to the metal. I didn't give a. I can swear. I didn't give a fuck about. Yeah, that. you can swear. Yeah, as, yeah. as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> talking street right now. I didn't give a fuck about nothing. Nobody. It was all about survival. Yeah. You know, it was just. It was. I was cast. It was survival of the fittest, basically. And that's well, how, 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 how do you survive in there? Because a lot of us have these. You know, a lot of us watch shows like Oz, and we've seen prison movies, so we get this sensationalized notion of what prison is like. But you, did you have to join a clique? Did you have to be a member of some group? How do you survive in there? The way it works is. If you are from Massachusetts, we have what's called a Boston car. So wherever you go, if you're not a rat, they greet you at the door with, you know, whatever you need. If you're in a higher up, they greet you at the door with clothes, food, and a knife. If you're in a lower <laughs> security, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so everybody that's good from Massachusetts, Boston, sticks together. So basically, right. they got your back from the, the second you walk in the door when you're a good guy. So everybody, yeah. you know, I went to trial. I didn't tell on nobody. So I was good. Yeah, but you know, if you if you aren't a good guy, you have problems wherever you go. Well, what what would have happened if you did tell on people? What were they offering you? <clears throat> then there wasn't even a even a thought because the, the second I got arrested, I told them I got nothing to say to you. People don't even try okay. to talk to me. Okay. So yeah, you didn't even go there. Got it. Right. I mean, I never spoke one word to these people from the right. time I was arrested to right now. So did you feel threatened in prison at all? Were you concerned about your safety? Never. Okay. Never. I, mean, I think I, when you're a stand-up guy, like you said, people are like, okay, this guy's good. Right. Well, if you're someone who's ratted someone out and you still end up in prison, you're probably going to yeah, be just certain, you know, certain people. Open, you know, number one. You know? Exactly. Just talking to certain friends. Just certain people, as soon as they walk through the door, you know, whether you're a rat or you're a rapist or you're a child molester, it's like, dude, you already have the – you already have the target on you. There's really no redemption for you in there. It's gonna be it's gonna be a long even if it's six months or a year, it's gonna be a long six months or a year for those guys. Yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. So you're in prison now. What's what's the routine that you did to stay sane? Are you lifting weights? What are you doing each day? Every day I would get up I actually I would stay up late. My routine was to sleep in and then I would go walk the track on an empty stomach. You like we can't get what we have out here, so I had to do with you know the lousy vitamins that they give, right? Uh, calisthenics. So I was fortunate; I was in a couple places that had weights, so that was good. Yeah, to work out and lift weights and all that. But as I went down in in security levels, they 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 seemed to take them away. So it was yeah. just calisthenics, walking, push ups, pull ups, that kind of stuff. 
How do, how do people get so fit and big? I mean, you see some pretty big guys in prison that weren't big when they went in. So they, they, they got on some kind of powerlifting regimen, and that part I get. If you have access to weights, not every place has weights. But the food seems to be exactly. the, limit, the, the biggest <laughs> limitation in terms of caloric intake and nutrition intake. So how do you think people just – is it just because For you're – you witness. I mean, your testosterone levels are probably higher because they have to be. <laughs> right. So you have that working in your favor. But I'm, I'm just curious. People, I think people on the outside are really fascinated with prison physiques. And some people have tried to, to try to market off of it. You know, well, yeah, I want to I want to say cultural appropriation, but it's not quite the most accurate term. But that's essentially what they did. Well, it like is, in, yeah. in, in Dragon Door, they, there was a guy who wrote this prison workout this book. Coach Paul dude or whatever his name was. But well, supposedly they, they was a fictional to, character, you know. Well, it, it's, the rumor is that the publisher of Dragon Door, John Duquesne, wrote the book and then he used a fake name. But yeah, I don't know which, if that's which true. Which is hilarious. So, Anthony, if you ever just if you just Google John Duquesne and look at this guy, and then think about this guy trying to trying to talk about a, a training regimen coming from a standpoint something that you've lived through, you'll find this laughable. Well, here's the interesting thing, sincere. <laughs> a lot of people don't know this, but John has served time for a drug really? deal. Yeah, really. Yeah, for for <laughs> a fairly serious crime, actually. A lot of wow. people don't know that, but. Uh, yeah, so anyway, there's no, nothing else for me to say on that. Exactly. In some ways, he's somewhat qualified to write the book. Yeah, but, yeah. But, well, no, but I, he, I, he, I, I retract my statement on no, that. No, 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 but he's not qualified from the sense of looking at him. Well, know, exactly. <laughs> well, not looking like the guy that's on the cover of that book, you know. <laughs> that's not John Duquesne. Okay. Well, look, so. I mean, the workout regimen in there, it's a pretty good workout for just bodyweight stuff, but yeah. you're not going to look like the guy in the cover doing that routine, okay? Push-ups are great. And handstand push-ups are pretty good too, but there's limitations with just right. the body weight. Yeah. So Anthony, you're doing you're doing mainly calisthenics at a lot of these places. You're walking the track. Now, when did you get interested in a vegan diet? Was that something you wanted to do before you got out, or is it something you're going, okay, there's no way I can do it right now because of what my offerings are, but I want to get into better that. Yet. Or better yet, was that the only option when you're in when you're in the joint? You know, it's just kind of like <laughs> you're pretty much a vegan sometimes, not by choice. <laughs> Actually, it's the opposite. Bread and water. Really? Yeah. yeah, you're you're, you're like a meat eater in there because wow. they get a dollar twenty five a day to feed you. And the and what what I found out and well, I'll go maybe back up to when I was a kid. I had a bad experience with my grandfather. He took me out back of his house and he killed a chicken in front of me, and I was traumatized. Like he he thought it was like a, a sign of manhood and all that, but it messed my mind up as far as eating animals. Yeah. But then I eventually yeah. got over it, but I guess it was always in my subconscious. So when I went away and my buddy who was a cook told me, you know, we're eating meats that are three, four years old. And I was like, what? And he showed me the package and I was like, shit. So I was like, so I stopped eating red meats and all that, you know, from the, from the commissary. I mean, the kitchen in the commissary. Right. And I, you know, started eating more tunas and, um, Whatever vegetables I could get, I would be proud to buy them out of the kitchen. But like you said, it's tough in there because yeah. I mean, fruits are limited, vegetables are very limited. They want to want to serve you is old meat and potatoes. So a lot of these guys you're talking about that get huge in prison, it's swollen. Yeah. All swollen up, but it's okay. from okay. the starches and they're working out five, six hours a day. Right, right. They're going hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what what do they have you doing work wise though, right? You're not just sitting around all day in there. What what do they have you doing? Me, I, I always always had like a cushiony job. Okay. Uh, but uh, because I spent a lot of time once I 
like woke up and stopped being a troublemaker on education. I took like 50 educational classes and stuff like that. Well, now let's talk about that. Let's rewind a little bit there. So when you went in, you said, I read your bio, you said you had a chip on your shoulder, and then another inmate gave you some advice that was very salient at the time. But what, what, what kind of, what, yeah, what, what was going on for the, before all of that happened? What kind of trouble were you getting into? A lot of fights, a lot of stupid fights. I got, if I, a mail call, if somebody was looking at my newspaper without asking me, I would just walk up to them and crack them. Yeah. <laughs> stupid <laughs> shit. Stuff I would never do now, cause I'm not that guy anymore, but. Right. When you have 21 years in front of you, and I, with me, because it was my second time in prison, my kids were really disappointed in me, and they didn't talk to me for a while, and that broke my heart. But, yeah. you know, since then we've mended everything. Everything's great now. But, Good. you know, I went through a phase where my friends started falling off the map, you know, one after the other, because, you know, they think I'm doing like a life sentence. I'm never getting out. Right. And right. only the solid, very few solid friends stuck by me. And then my family was, you know, always been good, but, you know, everybody's got life. So when I was in there, I had, like, this chip on my shoulder because, you know, my (laughs) wife ended up divorcing me. My kids weren't speaking to me. It was just, it was like a pity party for myself. Yeah. And, you know, I I was acting crazy. Like, you can't believe it. Like, if I look back, I'm like, I can't even believe I was that guy. But as the years went on, and then I had an old time, old school convict tell him, pull me aside like it says in the bio, and he says, what is going on with you, bro? You're risking everybody in Boston. You keep getting in these crazy fights. You you know, you're just out of control. And then I got in another fight because my ex-wife said she was divorcing me, and I went to the shoe, and I had six months in there to think about it. And I had nobody talking to me. Just my mother had my back at the time. And I was actually contemplating hanging it up. I'm going to be honest with you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not yeah. that guy. I'm not a coward. I didn't go, you know, through life, you know, as a man to become a coward now. But it, it, the thought crossed my mind for a scintilla of a second. And then I was just, obviously it went away. But and I was looking at the ceiling. I'll never forget it in the shoe. And uh, I said, God, please give me a sign. I, this is like my, this is too much. I mean, I, I've been probably got two, two, three years in the shoe at this time, which is solitary confinement. Yeah, I was about yeah. to say, like, yeah. what, yeah, yeah exactly what's that like. Cell, you know what I mean? So you're, you're in there for six months, you said? How long were you in there? I was I had a six months in front of me. I got sanctioned. I had to wait like a month and a half to see the DHO. That's a disciplinary board. And then they gave me another <laughs> 90 days, and then you don't get out for like a, another like two, three, four weeks after that once there's bed space. So I know I got like four and a half months left, already a month and a half in there. And I said, God, please help me. And I'm thinking these bad things. And I can't do it anyways. I'm not a coward. but And, uh, the, 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 I get a knock on the door, and this guy, I, one of the few guys I liked, comes at the door, and he's like, Bucci, I got some paper for you. I just took in a screenplay writing class, and I looked at him, and I said, I'm all set. And he's like, no, take some paper. He was, like, pushing it upon me, and then it just <laughs> This was my message. So I went to the door, and I was like, give me as much paper as you can. He gave me two or three little pencils, because you can't have pens in there, like two-inch pencils, and that's how I started writing Infinity Crew. It was at my lowest point in life, and then this, basically the, this book saved my life. Yeah, I was just about to ask. I mean, you just answered my question because you know you you see a lot of you, like I said, you see through movies and all this, and you, you or you have friends, family, or somebody you know that may have been in solitary. So it's always a question like, how do you even get through that? Because like, at the end of the day, man, as human beings, you know, we're built to be connected to people, 
and just to be isolated, like being isolated for a little while, maybe a week or two, maybe we can get through. But I always wonder, like when you're doing six months, a year, a couple of years, you know, in solitary, you know, how do you just mentally stay in the game? You know, during that, man, because, again, it's like there's no human connection. Even when you're in prison, you still got you still have your family in there, you know, just because, again, basically out of survival. So I always wonder, like, how to, you know, how the cats get through that. Solitary's broken a lot of strong guys. Yeah, I heard, man. Yeah. Well, what did what did you do in there each day? I would do my exercises in the morning. Then I would stay up writing and and, uh, you know, put the book. I spent hours and upon hours upon hours, and I, when I got out of the solitary after all that time, I had piles and piles of little, like three by six pieces of paper, with not a, not a scintilla of space on either side left. Hmm. And, and I, you know, I had them numbered, and then I had to, you know, go through everything when I got out. It took a long time just to decipher my writing because the pencils are so bad. You sharpen. <laughs> So, yeah, there's a there's a movie called Papillon and Charlie Human, who was from Sons of Anarchy, he's the lead in it. And it's based on a true story about a a French prison. And he plays a guy named Henry Charrier, something like that. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it right. But anyway, I bring it up because if you try to escape this prison island, you get a year in solitary. So he tried to escape, he got a year in solitary. But solitary as in you don't talk to anyone, no one talks to you. You get fed very little. And then he tried to escape again. This time he got three years in solitary. And then he tried to escape again. He got seven years in solitary. And people asked him, how did you not lose your mind? Because this is all based on a true story. And he said that he just embraced the silence. And you, you basically just zoned out. It's wild to think hmm. that yeah. someone could do that, though, for seven, seven years. Right. That was my saying. When I would get out, the guys would be like, you got went to the shoe again. That's what's called the shoe, too. Yeah. I was like, yeah, misery is my best friend, so you just bring back memories. <laughs> yes. Like my boy said, you just embrace the suck, man. <laughs> you know? But, but it's crazy. It, but, but psychologically, you're thinking, when someone puts you in there, okay, you're going to be in here for seven years. Right. That, I don't know. I don't, I don't Hell, care even, who even you just are. That months. has to mess with you. Yeah, that's even what I mean. Seven, seven there, years. There are, people, there are people that can't even meditate in silence for seven minutes. You tell them, like, <laughs> okay, go meditate, you know, and just be alone with your thoughts for seven minutes. I can't do that. You know, oh, man, I, you know, I'll, I'll lose it, man. I, I can't stop thinking. I'm just like, so just think about that. They can't even do Someone out here can't even do that for seven minutes in their own house where they have the freedom to get up and it's like, okay, I'm tired of meditating. I'm going to get up and walk out, <laughs> you know. So just think about someone when you have no choice but to be in silence or be by yourself for a given amount of time. You know, it's not even a voluntary thing. It's not even a choice at that point. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're crying about the quarantine. <laughs> well, that, well, that's what I was about to bring exactly. up. People are whining about not being able to leave. I mean, first of all, in America, we did a half-assed quarantine for the most part. <laughs> right. But, I mean, here in Vegas, we everything's shut down, and they say stay as home as much as possible, but you don't have to. So everybody's driving around. There's thousands of cars on the road. There's hundreds of people at the parks congregating and so forth. So it wasn't even if, – if that's the kind of shutdown that we thought was a good idea, we shouldn't have even have bothered because exactly. we're going to do a shutdown. Let's do what New Zealand did. Let's shut this motherfucker down. Some of this so gangster now. They just had a case yesterday where it was a family of four. They haven't had they haven't had a case I think in over a hundred and something days, yeah. something like that. And a family of four had it, and they shut 
everything down again. Over four people. Oh, boy. Over four people. <laughs> so like, oh, man. I was like, damn, New Zealand is gangster. Man. Yeah, they're not playing around over there. I guess they say, look, we're a small island over here by ourselves. If that shit breaks out, so we can wipe out the whole island. So, like, yeah. nah, nah, we're not playing. It's true. <laughs> so. it's true. But, yeah, from your perspective, Anthony, you must think it's a just a big joke when people <laughs> complain about basically you're on home. It's not even home arrest because you can right. technically walk outside of your home. But even if it were, it's not that big of a deal, especially in comparison to what you've been through. So let, let's let's move forward a little bit on this. So you're you start get you start picking yourself up. You start being more productive. You're writing the screenplay. When did you start looking into laws that led you to this ability to find a way to get out of prison early? Well, the law thing I was doing right from the start because I learned a little bit about the law. My first sentence. So I was fighting my case left and right, and I was putting in motion after motion. They were actually the first circuit of court of appeals called me the poster child for perseverance. <laughs> <laughs> I was fighting everything, courtroom closure, um, just like I never even touched a gun. They gave me seven years for a gun, just craziness. They were just stacked wow. the charges. So I was you know, putting in actual innocence claims, all kinds of stuff. Right. And then I uh, started taking correspondence courses in to be a paralegal. So so I had a little knowledge from the first sentence and then, you know, carried over into the second. Right. So what about what about the dog training? Is that something you got into? You're training dogs for handicapped people? Yeah. Well, that's what see what happened was after my wife divorced me and I got in trouble and then the guy my friend came to me, he passed away since then, you know, in prison, but he he, you know, basically woke me up. I had a, when I was in the shoe, I started writing. I had my little spiritual awakening. And I said to my, I said, I'm going to change as a human being first. So when I got out, little things that would have usually set me off or whatever, I was like a different guy. And it, and everybody thought it was, you know, the shoe broke me, this and that. It wasn't about the shoe. It was about what his words struck me like thunder. It was like, you want to be something for your family, for society. You don't want to be this guy. And it was, and it was the truth. So, <coughs> I learned a little compassion, and I have a lot of compassion now. Things that usually would have bothered me, the way people drive, rudeness, cutting you in supermarkets, all that stuff. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's nothing now. I mean, it, who cares? The yeah. Biggest scheme of life. People are getting sick, dying. You know what I mean? It's this pandemic. I mean, what's I think I think that's an, an amazing quality you developed because sometimes. You just sometimes things just come out, right? You're dealing with a rude person, and you just have this automatic response. It's what happens to me all the time. Someone says something, and before I even have a chance, like the other day, I was at the gym, right? I was doing Hindu squats, it's just this body weight exercise, and I did my set. And there's this one trainer there, and she thinks that she's in a position to give me advice. And if anyone met her, they would think otherwise. But anyway, she. She, yeah, I could barely her. hear her. She's just like, oh, yeah, you know, watch your back on that. And I cut her off immediately. I was like, I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. I was like, I was like, I'm doing Hindu squats and I'm Indian. So I don't need a white lady to tell me how to do it properly. And I swear to God, that's what I said. And she was like, oh, <laughs> you know, and it just came out because it, 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 I mean, first of all, I was irritated because I have a mask on, too, because you have to wear a mask at the gym. And that's fine. I'm not going to whine like a little bitch. I'll wear the mask. But I just did a, a high rep set. And I'm with the mask on, so I'm, so the breathing is even more pronounced. And then here's someone who's with a client. It's like, why are you looking at what I'm doing when you have a right. client in front of you? You know. And then it's 
it's this notion of trying to tell me about something that you've probably never even seen this exercise before. You don't even know what I'm doing. And you've seen what I do otherwise. So why do you think that I don't know what I'm doing and that you're in a fucking position to tell me? But it just goes back to a point I made. I go, look, don't give people unsolicited advice because it's always going to come. It's always going to be taken in a way that's not productive. And this proved that point. And what's really funny is right before she did that, there were a bunch of teenagers deadlifting with the worst technique I've ever seen. And I was so tempted to be like, look, look, guys, let me show you how to set up and so forth. But I resisted the urge. I go, nah, they're not asking me and I'm not going to waste my time offering. And then right, right after that, it reinforced my point because now I'm on the other end of it. You know, so I have this thing where sometimes people come at me in, in a rude way. And before I have a chance to even check myself, I, I just respond. You know, it just comes out. And then sometimes it's the nuclear response. Like it's a little bit too much for the situation. And I, I think a better strategy would be more balanced like you. And I think that's one of the things that you probably developed over the years of being in the prison system is that you're way more ironically, you're way more patient and you're, you're not quick to lose your temper because you know, the consequences of that as well, or the potential consequences. Yeah. Especially out here. I don't, first of all, I've done enough time. I don't want to go back for something stupid, but <laughs> it comes with age too. I'm t at least I'm 10 years older than you, Mike. So, okay. You know what I mean? I melt, you know, what am I going to keep? I have kids and I have a grandson. I can't go around arguing and fighting with people. I have, it's about time I became a role model. Right, right. I'll lead by example. And that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, like I said, I was a guy that was <laughs> inches away from nothing. You know what I mean? Not even being here to, you know, striving, motivating, trying to help people. Yeah, I think a lot of times people forget <clears throat> just how fragile life is and how one little decision can change everything. And one thing about it, you've witnessed that and you've lived through that. So a lot of times when people sit there, if someone actually took that in consideration, they would think about that before they even interject themselves in someone else's life. Right. Really quick, before you even open your mouth to say anything. So usually I, you, got, you got to kind of qualify before you even, before the words come out, you might be like, okay, before, even if I think something, I see somebody, if I'm training somebody at the range and I see these people shooting crazy and I'm thinking like, okay, do I go and say something? But at the same time, it's even more of a high risk situation. You don't know who you're dealing with. You know what's going on with them. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like everybody, everybody's armed right now. So you know, you, so you really got to think twice about what you're about yeah. to say. Like, okay, is it really worth it? Like, how about I just go over here a few lanes down behind these cinder blocks? So therefore, I know that my client and myself are safe. But at the same time, I'm looking at the camera. So therefore, the the range safety officers out there, they can see the camera and kind of get a signal from me. Like, hey, you might want to come in and check these people out because that's what they're paid to do. And let them deal with it. Right. You know, I don't need to inject, interject myself into it. But at the same time, I want to make sure that I feel safe and my clients feel safe. So there's a way of doing things. And especially when you actually think about it before you actually just do it. You know, I've seen people trying to go, hey, man, you might want to do it this way. And then I've seen dudes like, I got it. And he kind of snap, <laughs> snap at it. I'm looking, and I'm looking at both of them like, neither one of you have it. Okay. It's like, first of all, you, who are you to go try to give this guy advice on how to like shoot? Okay. And you, you look, you just came straight out of some gangster movie from 1990. <laughs> you know, shooting all sideways. So I'm just like, all right, let me just get the hell up out of here. That's the best thing I can do is like, all right, let's go ahead and wrap this up for the day. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I've been reading, I've been reading Mary Trump's book, right? About Donald. Yeah. And she has a story in there about how when Donald's older brother took him out with his friends, the older brother's friends, fraternity friends, they all went fishing. And Donald's not – he doesn't know how to fish, so he's using the rod in a certain way. And one of the guys came over. He's like, hey, man, let me show you how to do it. And he said immediately – and this is when he was a teenager. He said immediately, I know what I'm doing. I don't need you to tell me anything. 
<laughs> and they're like, well, just keep doing it wrong then. <laughs> and it's funny how things have never changed because <laughs> right. was, you know, he's still that guy now. You know? well, here we are 50, 60 years later. Yeah. When I'm reading some of these stories, some of them you're going, you know, I don't know what's true. Or, I don't know what's true or what isn't, right? This is just someone telling a story, but that one's easy to believe. <laughs> <You know? Right. laughs> some people are just not good at taking advice, but I think, some people are not good at delivering advice either, and yes, that's also do. the problem. And it's not it's – sometimes it's not so much that the other person is not good at taking advice. It's just that you're trying to give it at a time where they're not going to be receptive, such as I always say, look, if someone comes knocking on my door and they're trying to sell me something, it may even be something I actually want. But just the fact they're knocking on my door, I'm already <laughs> irritated, so you just tell them to F off before they even get their pitch out. Yeah, yep. somebody jumps in your face like, hey, man, no, I'm good. <laughs> but look, man, you didn't look. Nah, I'm good. Okay, I'm not buying anything today. I don't want to hear anything today. But um, but that makes me think, Anthony. Is like speaking of like advice. So how does how does it work when you're going back and talking to guys who are still in the joint who just got out and they're trying to get their life together and they're looking toward they're looking to you and like you know basically how receptive are they? Given from your experiences and you pretty much trying to help them get on the straight and narrow by actually using your experiences. Like how does that how does that well, work? I can't answer that one because I've only been out nine months and I really even haven't even seen anybody because most of my guys are, you know, have like a couple of years to go. So I have, I've been basically staying to myself, doing this book, um, doing the clothing line, rehab the condo and then with my curfew, it's tough to move around. So right. I haven't really seen anybody, which actually is a blessing because, you know, they, they frown upon that and you can go back for association and all that shit. Yeah. So I can't answer that question even if I had. No, I'm kidding. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's jump around a little bit here. We'll we'll come back. To, we'll circle back to your. Actually, let's let's get this out of the way before we move away from the prison a little bit. You said you had a spiritual awakening while in prison. Is that already what you expressed, or was there something more to it? Um, it, no, I just did a lot of. When I had all that time in the shoe, I did a lot, a lot of soul searching. Yeah, time to think about everything and every the way I treated people and how selfish I was in relationships and you know the time I you know took away from spending with my kids and doing what I was doing out here. It's just like, what was I thinking? I mean, I gave up between the two senses almost twenty years of my life, and what did I get for it? Abandoned and you know hurting people. Yeah. So and above all, I hurt myself. So you know, I mean, I just said to myself, you know what, I want to come out of here. Somebody my kids can be proud of. When I come out, I'm going to be, you know, bust my ass, which I've been doing. I want to be somebody that society, you know, doesn't frown upon. But I'm pretty fortunate, though, because I came out at a good time because people are actually, like, rooting for the underdog, rooting for the comeback, like on Facebook and social media and stuff. I get a lot of support from people I don't even know. There's a lot of good plant-based, vegetarian vegans, you know, they got you back a lot of times. Like It's like a brotherhood, and I like it. That's good. That's yeah. good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I mean, I, only, I there was one funny story, though. A guy tried to tell me I couldn't be the convicted vegan. He goes, because you didn't go to prison for animal activism. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So I said, always, always that one guy. <laughs> so I said one, to the one, guy. One guy who's never been to prison. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Probably the last five seconds, you know. Come on. Yeah, so I told him. I said, first of all, right, you know, I'm vegan now. Second of all, I was convicted 
I went to trial <laughs> 21 days and I was convicted. Third of all, I'm convicted in my beliefs in veganism now and plant-based, whatever. I like plant-based word. Uh, I, I'm convicted in my beliefs of, you know, not eating animals and all that. And fourth, I mean, fourth of all, wait, wait, second, third, yeah, fourth of all, I went to jail twice for plants, once for cocaine, once, <laughs> once for cannabis. I'm a plant-based guy. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. Very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> when, when did this whole thing – so you get out of prison, and you wanted to look into a vegan diet before prison, but you didn't feel you had the resources. Is that correct? And then you, once you got out, you wanted to adopt that? Yeah. Well, what happened was once I got out and I stopped watching these movies, Game Changers and yeah. uh, uh, What the Health, Food Inc. and Conspiracy, uh, Plant Pure Nation, Veganated, uh, Veginated, Veducated, whatever it's called, mm-hmm. I was like horrified. I was like, because I was brought up, you know, Italian household and everybody, you know, even after my experience with the chicken, it would always it was in the back of my head. And then I started reading books also in prison. And I then, like I said, I stopped eating the meat in there, but I would eat. Um, you know, different like different stuff like tuna fish and all that. But right, I was basically just eating the fish, pescatarian. But uh, yeah, you know, once I got out and I was able to, you know, have resources to have protein drinks, you know, plant based protein drinks and all the vegetables and fruits and all that, and then watching these videos and stuff. I like now, if I like I've said, I had another interview before. If I go in the supermarket and I even look at the red meat, you know, in the in the aisles, I, I get sick. I, yeah. like, I can't even believe I was, you know, eating uh, animals. Yeah. You know what I mean? So people ask me that all the time too. They go, Do you, I, mean, I haven't had meat since I was 15 and I'm 46 now. And people ask me all the time, do you miss eating meat? You, know, you smell it at a barbecue. And I go, honestly, it's the opposite. I go, I find it repugnant. I don't find it appealing at all. And you'll listen I, don't, to I, don't, I don't even like to go to barbecues when people invite me. They're like, yeah, man, just bring some of those veggie burgers. I'm like, eh, it's all right. I just don't want to be around it. The right. smell to me is disgusting. And, and I'm not judgmental. I'm not saying you guys don't do it, but I just don't want to be around it. Yeah, and look at you. You've lived in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> I love these people. They say, you can't get protein. You're only in meat. Tell them, Mike. Where's your protein? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think there's two mistakes people make about protein. One, that you can't get it. You can. And two, that you need a certain amount. You don't. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, there's these bodybuilding magazines like to say two to three grams per pound. So if you weigh 200 pounds, you're going to eat up to 600 grams of protein. Come on. You're going to have to walk around with a Lysol can because you're going to be farting <laughs> on command. I don't care what kind of protein it is either. It could be all veg- vegetable protein. You're going to be ripping like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> Every time you do a squat, you're going to get some propulsion you know, yeah. at, at the so bottom. Maybe that helps. I, I don't know if you time it right. Do you count proteins? What's that? Do you count proteins? No, I don't. But I but I did for a long time, honest. I'll be perfectly honest. When I first became a vegan, this is when I was 20 years old. I was vegetarian for a while. My mother is from India. She was vegetarian, so I grew up with her example. And when I was 15, I really got into animal welfare. I always cared about animals, but I started thinking about it a lot more. I was listening to a lot of hardcore music that talked about animal rights and vegetarianism. And then I was in Kenya with my parents on a safari. So there was just a convergence of events that really got me into it. So when I first started, though, 
I didn't count protein, but then I got into lifting weights when I was around 18. So you're you're reading Muscle and Fitness, you're reading Iron Man magazine. It's all protein, protein, protein. You need a lot of protein to build muscle. So then I started becoming very fixated on okay, let me make sure I get this many grams every day. Let me get the five six meals they're talking about, and I I, I did that for many years. I wasn't super pedantic about it though. I wasn't trying to get a gram per pound, but I was trying to get in that direction, so close to that. At least over, let's say, 150 grams of protein every day. I was trying, I was striving for that. And then, and then I started talking to people like Nick Delgado, who said you don't even need that much. And then Franco Colombo, who's not a vegetarian, he passed unfortunately recently. Arnold Schwarzenegger's best friend, legendary bodybuilder. He was a chiropractor in in Los Angeles for decades, and I used to get chiropractic adjustments from him, and it was it was fun just to go in there just to talk to him, but he was he's a great chiropractor too. But we talked about nutrition, and he said that even when he and Arnold were competing, they would only take about a gram per kilo, so it's basically half a gram per pound. It's a little bit more than that, but roughly half a gram per pound, and then a, an extra 30 to 40 grams when they're trying to put on muscle. So it's still not going to add up to more than, let's say, 150 grams, maybe 160 grams at the most, which is nothing by today's standards. And people often counter that saying, oh, well, those guys were on steroids. I'm like, yeah, that's reason to eat more protein. There's, you, know, you, get, you get additional protein synthesis with anabolics, but they still decided not to. And those guys looked way better than the guys now. They were really healthy. They looked good. They were athletic. They moved well, way better than what we see now, which is more of a freak show. So I mean it's after talking to people like that I go okay well let me let me try just not so much reducing protein but just not worrying about it just as focused don't don't down three protein shakes a day and all that just have one in the morning eat regular food during the day which is what I do now and it works really well I mean I'm stronger now than I was when I was o- overly worried about protein in my 30s and I'm 46 now and I'm getting stronger so I I think I think protein is important no doubt about it but I think we've been lied to with the amounts that we need. And I'm just talking about myself, too, because there is a lot of personalization with, with anything. So someone else may need more than me, but no one really knows how much they need until they play around with the numbers. Because, I mean, if you're used to eating a gram per pound and you've done it for decades, you may think, well, this is what I need. You've never even tried reducing it. I mean, imagine trying to tell someone to reduce their protein intake, a man who's lifting weights. They're going to just roll their eyes at you. They're like, no, no way. No way. I'm re- I'll, I'll reduce carbs. I'll reduce fat. But there's no way I'm reducing my protein. <laughs> yep. People are convinced they need that meat. So you need to lift weights to build muscle, right? If you just ate protein and built muscle, then every fat fuck who eats meat <laughs> right. wants muscle. Have you don't. been to a churrasteria? It should be like it just be, it should yeah. just be overflowing with a bunch of muscle bound people in there. Yeah, there's, the average just a meat buffet. Come on, man. It's like come on. And I look around there. I don't see. It doesn't look like the Arnold. <laughs> when I go to a churrasqueria back in the well, day, I mean, man. the average meat eater probably who doesn't work out at all probably gets more protein than I do. Well, why aren't they muscular then? For with all that protein, allegedly the the greatest protein too. That's the other myth is that animal protein is superior. When all the studies that people often refer to were done with rats. Well, I don't really give a fuck what works with rats. Mm-hmm. And none of those things show what's bioavailable with humans. And actually, Nick Delgado brought up a study which showed that just the protein you get in white rice, just that small amount of protein, actually has you get greater pro, you get greater protein synthesis, synthesis from that. 
Yeah, then eating and that right there. All the anti-carbers that scares the crap out of him. He's there. Wait, <laughs> wait, come on, man. Really, white rice? You know, you know. But what about you know? What about your your you know your sugar rising up and blah blah. You know, so there's a it becomes a yeah but thing rapidly. Right like you know what? Yeah, I, I eat white I eat white rice all the time. I, I had it yesterday. I love <laughs> you know, I'm good. Black beans and white rice. Come on. Exactly. Come on, man. That's like, delicious. Go to Just those two things on a plate. Yeah, go to any third world country or whatever and tell them, hey, man, you know, hey, hey, put that rice down. Just eat the beans. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. They're like, dude, this is what we're eating today. Seriously. Like, so yeah, it was a lot of times this is nitrogen retention is what I want to say. Want to hear some nitrogen retention with the white rice. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Anthony. Go ahead, Anthony. I got some t- statistics for you. Like I said, I got immediate release, so I didn't know I was even getting out of prison. So I, they did a physical, just happened to, to give me a physical a month before. My court date, I got a court date. So my cholesterol was 247, I think, right? Mm-hmm. So then I go to court. I went and re-release. I get out. I start going to the gym. I'm working out all the time. I'm walking. I'm jogging. I get. I go and I have my testosterone, all these levels checked by a youth doctor. Mm-hmm. And my cholesterol went down to 243 still, Right? Then I went vegan, and then I went to my primary care because I got uh, health insurance. Mm-hmm. Forty-three days, I think I was vegan. I lo- I lowered my cholesterol forty-four points, down yeah. to one ninety-six. That's great. Well, what was your testosterone level? <clears throat> okay, my testosterone. That's what I wanted to talk to you about too, because I know you're the you're a pro. Okay, I just had that checked. I had my testosterone checked recently. Okay. But in prison, well, but let me, let me rephrase that. In prison, my testosterone was low. It was in the hundreds, like 180 or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're talking total testosterone here, I'm assuming. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. now I just got it tested. Scale was 190 to 740 and I was 543. Yeah. That's a lot better. That's yeah. good. Free testosterone was 111. That's actually really good. That's what I was going to ask you. So that the total doesn't even really matter that much. The free is what's more important. That's what's actually bioavailable. And 111, is that on a scale of 60 to 150? What's the scale on that? 57 to 240. Okay. So that's a little bit wider scale. So that's that's a little bit below. Yeah, you want to be at about 150. So you're not far from that, though. You know, 111 is pretty good. I'll actually – I'll send you my natural mm-hmm. testosterone booster. That will get you way over that. Okay. Now here's I'll the other thing. I'll send you a bottle of that. I heard you talking. I think you were on Rich Roll. You? Yeah, yeah, I've been on Rich Roll. Okay. I heard you talking about DHEA levels. Mine is 59. Yeah, that's really low. Yeah, and the scale was 51 to 295. But given that everything you went through in prison, that doesn't surprise me because that's a stress management hormone. Right. And the fact that your testosterone was so low, DHEA actually protects testosterone from cortisol. And so if your DHEA is really low, your testosterone is going to be really low, too, and your cortisol is probably super high. But none of that's really surprising. I would expect your cortisol to be really high in prison. I know mine would be. <laughs> you know, why, why wouldn't someone have high cortisol? I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the toughest person around. You're in prison. So it's, you're not going to have super high testosterone levels. You may have had high testosterone levels going in. Just like a lot of professional athletes have high testosterone starting off, but after years and wear and tear, most professional athletes have really low levels of yep. hormones. MMA athletes, they, you check their testosterone during a camp, it's nothing. I mean, it's barely detectable. So that, that the stress that you put on your body in prison, I would imagine, is just a 
24-hour stress. I mean, was there ever a time that you actually felt relaxed in prison where you're kicking back and you don't feel like you need to be on guard? Well, when you get down to the lower levels, because I did so good, okay, I worked my way down to a lower level. So when you're in like a, uh, a camp, like like I was at the end when I was training the dogs and stuff, yeah, it was really chill. I mean, don't you know? Don't get me wrong. You're still around, you know, sociopaths and psych some psychopaths because they, you know, everybody's mixed in. It's not all you know white collar guys, but to the yeah. most part, it was really really relaxed. And by that time, I was a different person. Right. I was, I was I was compassionate. I let a lot of shit go that I would have never let go before. You know, I was actually proud of myself. Certain situations where I usually would have snapped, I just kept it under control and I tried That's to. Great. You know, the younger guys, I was counseling them and trying to, you know, just keeping everybody on an even keel so we could all get along. Yeah. And just but being around the being couple, around the being around the dogs, I would imagine, would help too. I mean, dogs helped me de-stress. It was the best. I loved it. Yeah. That yeah. dog was my therapy dog, even though I was training him for other people. I would I would sign up for that immediately if possible. If I were in prison, the dog trainer, I go. At least I'll be around dogs and feel like I'm doing something productive for others. Yeah, the dogs live right in your room. Oh, I mean, very cool. What kind of dog did you have? I had a black labs. Oh, nice. Those are nice dogs. I graduated two dogs. One went to uh, a hospital for troubled kids. And the other one actually went to a courthouse to help with kids that were actually going to testify, you know, your young kids. Wow. Keep them, keep them calm. So I was proud of that. Wow, that's really cool. How, what, what, was it hard to <laughs> let these dogs go? Did you become really attached? That was the hottest thing, yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, I was taking, how, how long? How long did you have? How long did you have each dog? I would have to take a dog from six weeks to eight weeks old, like, and then raise it to a little over a year, like thirteen months. Wow, so that's quite a bond. Yeah, I mean, my dogs. I used to roll on the floor with them, lie on them. They would, you know, sleep on my chest. It was they were yeah. my therapy. Yeah. yeah. Do Just, you do you know what happened? Do you have any way of keeping tabs on these dogs? What they're doing now? Nope, they don't allow it. Oh, okay. Uh, That's too bad. Couldn't even take a picture with them. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's most likely they're in a good situations, though. So oh, yeah, you can, you can, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. So they're they're not. It's not a possibility where they're in some abusive situation <clears throat> or something like that. So you can feel good about that. But that's that's got to be really tough. I know it would be tough for me. When I was in the higher up from that, I had a friend and he was from West Virginia and he got sick. He, he thought he had sciatica, so I was on the first floor. They moved him in my room. He was a good guy. He's doing 20 years for uh, Oxycontins, another ridiculous sentence for the amount. I think like a couple thousand. But anyways, he um, they said he had sciatica, so they sent him out to the hospital. He was loaded with cancer. So, oh. yeah, he stayed with me till two days before he died. And then so I did. And then when he died, the warden, the, the medical director, and the chaplain all came to my room to tell me because I got really, really close taking care of this guy. Yeah. And then because I did such a good job, they asked me if I would, you know, somebody else was sick. There was a guy from Boston with all, the beginning of Alzheimer's, glaucoma, and all that. And I took care of him for three or four months till he left. And then I took care of another guy. So I. I was actually volunteered to take care of some sick people, and that was part of my, like, spiritual awakening slash yeah. rehabilitation, trying to give back to others, be a good person. It was all stuff I was doing for myself with no expectations, right? So when, <laughs> when Trump did the prison reform, I had a, a, a nice long letter from the chaplain in my prison jacket. That's like you 
they put every prison you're at, they you know say how you did. Well, the, in that in that prison I was in 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 Pennsylvania, the chaplain you know wrote a nice letter saying I show great human compassion and this and that. And when I won my motion for immediate release, that was a big part of it. The judge took that into consideration. So yeah, God rewarded me. Uh, good karma came upon me for being good to people, and I appreciate that. So now I'm out here trying to do the same. Pass the message on to like I ought to tell tell people right on social media if you need somebody to talk to or whatever you're feeling low and you need motivation you you know I mean I I'm a guy that was at his lowest point I'd be a good candidate to talk to you yeah I want to help people yeah that comes through man I can feel, I can hear that in yeah. your voice I mean I, I think I, it's I, I think it's just amazing that I mean you can go through something like that. And it really sounds like you've come out the other end a much better person. Yeah, you didn't let it beat you because you, yeah. you, you can hear it in your voice. And, you know, I've had, I've had relatives, I've had friends, you know, come out and you can just hear it, man. Like, you know, the system, I mean, that time really did a number on them. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if someone was just talking to you today and, and didn't know any of this and they just met you and talking in a supermarket or whatever and just hearing how it beat you are, they would have, they wouldn't have any idea. They'd be like, Wait a minute, seriously? Because of course, mainly you're most most of the people on the outside are exposed to people who have been beaten by the system. So it's almost like they want you to see these people as you know, in order to just kind of I don't know, kind of make sure that you don't want to do anything that'll get you in there. So so they kind of put them up like that, or they show the most negative effect people who are just angry, you know, right. and, and like that. So you always just see all these negative um, aspects of it. And never really, they never really focus on the positive aspects of it because people will, I mean, we're talking about prison. What could be positive about that? I'm like, come on. It's like, like, you know, someone that comes out there and they didn't let the, the, the odds beat them. And like, like Mike said, you come out on the other side and you're actually giving back, you know, that changes the narrative right there big time. Well, and that can be inspiring to people who've been outside free. And then those who have been locked up and realize, Hey man, you don't have to let this thing actually own you when you get out. Like at the end of the day, yeah. the one thing you do have is your mind. That's the one thing they can't take from you. They can take your freedom out here, but, you know, they can't necessarily – only you can get, voluntarily give them what's going on in your head and your heart, you know. So that's I think that's the message they should focus a lot more on with folks. I'm down, yeah, I'm down with that because we have two choices as humans, prisoners or whatever. Put something in the rearview mirror and look forward or keep it there and be miserable and have cancer and diseases. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. All about positivity. I, and I don't even want anybody negative around me. Yeah. <laughs> I can help you, and you, you're open to help, I'll help you. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm definitely not hanging out with or talking to anybody negative unless they need my help. Because if right. they're not open to it, then i got to cut them loose. Yeah. 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 Mike, there's that, one other blood level I want to ask you about. IGF. Sure. Yep, IGF one. I, I don't know. Was, the level was 68 to 247. Mine was 168. Yeah, you want to be over 200, so you're not too far from that. But that that's also a lot of that's related to stress as well. You improve your stress. I mean, how, how old are you? 57. Yeah, you you may do well with some peptides. Peptides are there's a peptide. Exactly. Yeah, there's a peptide called tesamorelin, and then there's another one that I've used recently. It's a combination of CGC-1295 and ipramorelin. And what's cool about peptides is they ramp up your own production of growth hormone. So it's not like taking re replacement hormone replacement therapy 
growth hormone replacement therapy, which replaces your own production and then shuts down your own production over time. And now you're reliant on the drug. What I like about the peptides are they ramp up your growth hormone levels. And I use this company. I'm actually still on it right now. I'm on the third month. I haven't had my levels tested, but I, I can, I'm experiencing many of the benefits of enhanced growth hormones, such as like stomach fat just evaporated. I mean, it was noticeable. I mean, I see myself in the mirror every day. So if I notice, you know what's happening. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, you see, you know, me it's, not, it's not like I'm on, it's not like I'm on some specialized diet. I mean, I eat healthy, I eat clean, but you know, I eat cake and I eat cookies and I eat ice cream from time to time. I don't deprive myself of anything. I work out hard. I eat really healthy majority of the time, but if I want something sweet, I, I have it. And I've wanted some stuff sweet a little bit more often than normal recently. Could be those, you know, the after effects of COVID right now. You know, there's all this, <laughs> you know, having to wear a mask all the time and, you know, just dealing with dumb asses all the time. <laughs> ready well, I look, if I'm going to die from this, I, I at least want to have some <laughs> chocolate cake on the way out. I don't <laughs> right. want to try to be so healthy where I'm like, well, shit, man, if I knew I was going to die this week, I would have had, had that ice cream every night, for Christ's sake. Yeah. No, but... But the, the peptides, yeah, the peptides work really well. I'll send you a couple options, Anthony, on on where to get it if, if it's something you want to try. Yeah, now, no, it, you, you don't you don't have to get it through a doctor. You can get the peptides online. Now they are injectable though, so you have to know how to use an insulin needle. You inject it into your stomach. It's not difficult to learn how to do that though. It's not. But some people are a little bit. They they have a little bit of fear of needles, so some some people may have a hard time with that. But it's it's not in, in my opinion, it's not difficult. But that stuff is really that's the most effective stuff out there right now for increasing your own production of growth hormone for sure. So that won't show up on a drug test, correct? Like a drug screen no. off of like drugs like opiates. Weed. No, 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 definitely not, definitely not. Okay, just just asking. I don't want to, you know, again, come go come. Get me, come and pee in the cup, and then. Well, it's, well how long are you? How long are you in this probation period? Yeah, pro, parole, yeah. I got eight years. Oh, really? Eight yeah. years of testing. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, it's highly unlikely that there would be anything negative, but I can't say for sure. So I, w- I would be a little bit reluctant to just categorically recommend yeah. it to you without looking into it a little bit more. Someone such as. I mean, I get stuff from a, a friend of mine, Dr. Garcia. He's a hormone optimization specialist and a plastic surgeon here in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Someone like that would be a good person to ask. I can send you his email address so he can give you the lowdown. Cool. In that case, I, I mean, mean, getting, I mean, it's, I mean, there's, I don't see why there would be opiates in it when someone's selling it online because that's not, that's not why people are buying it. They're not trying to get high. They're trying to get a growth hormone increase or some kind of improvement in physique composition. So it's highly unlikely that any of this stuff would be contaminated with yeah, they do drugs a, that's on a, a legal schedule. Yeah, they do like 11 schedule panel, different stuff like me, yeah, me, there's, that, there's other things you can do too, over the counter stuff. There's mm-hmm. there's some things. So I'll, I'll send you a couple different options because your number's not too bad, honestly. Honestly, if you improve your sleep, that number would probably go up over 200. But when when you get over 250 or more, that's when you start noticing the physique composition benefits. You get over 300, you really start noticing the the workout recovery, the physique composition benefits. But peptides are that's an emerging area of the whole anti aging world. And there's a lot of money in anti aging and hormone optimization and so forth. And the peptides they've been around for a while, but they're being used a lot more now. So we have much more data 
on how effective they are. And there's all kinds of peptides. There's peptides for joint issues. There's peptides for gut health. There's peptides for strengthening ligaments. I mean, there's all kinds of peptides out there. It's really interesting stuff. I can see you know your stuff because the, the the youth doctor, when they went over this these results with me, they were recommending peptides. And I said I was going to be talking to, a, a, I don't know, somebody who's really very knowledgeable in this, meaning you. And they would say, be sure to ask them what kind. And then you told me, but I'm going <laughs> to later to send it to me in writing. Because I can get a doctor prescribed, and that way I'm safe no matter what. Yeah, yeah, well, that that's right. That that would be the way to do it. That that's a good way to go. So instead of just buying it from a website where it's probably okay, it's better to get that extra protection, get a doctor prescription for it. So that that would be a good way to go for sure. And that way you know for sure you're getting the right thing as well because they're going to source it from a lab that does certificate of analysis and quality assurance testing. Awesome. Happy. Thank you. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. My pleasure. So you get so you've been out of prison for a while. What kind of are you, are you on a workout routine now? What are you doing exercise wise? I was doing great. I was in it, going to the gym every day, and then COVID killed me. <laughs> that and then, damn COVID keeps emerging. Yeah, huh? yeah. <laughs> and COVID killed me. Then uh, you know the book. I finished finished my book last week. Um, the clothing line. I just been there's not enough hours in the day, bro. Yeah, but I'm I'm at the finish line, and hopefully things will take off soon. Well, what are you doing? You said you rebuilt like this. Con- I did like the clothes. Yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll wear that tank top at one of my workouts this week for sure. Awesome. That'll uh, that'll that'll get some eyebrows raised. <laughs> I got a killer hoodie line. They're ridiculous. They're like, oh, really? Cool. It uh, tie dyes. You know, uh-huh. like, right now I'm getting them at the end of this week. I'll send you guys uh, a couple hoodies. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Just need so yeah, what, what are you what are you doing work wise right now? What are you doing to make money? Besides this, obviously you're you got your clothing line and your well like day to day. Day to day, I'm just doing. This is my job. I'm selling the clothes now, but I'm uh, you know the book. Once that gets going, we get a little nest egg. But, from but, but you're 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 making enough money doing these things right now to pay the bills, or it's just it's something you're trying to grow. Something that's trying to grow, and we get a little money put aside from selling a condo. Okay, got it. So I think that's where I think that's where a lot of people that have been in the prison system have a hard time because they they end up doing jobs that you're exploited at. You're getting paid very little and you have to deal with some dickhead and then maybe you want to start a business but it's hard to have capital and isn't that why so many people end up in the system is that they they get institutionalized they try to make it in the real world and yes and there's just so many impediments i'm used to like when I, my first sentence i was used to making 40 50 100,000 a month wow. you know what i mean so now you're out here and you're uh we're getting offered jobs, fifteen dollars an hour, twenty dollars an hour. That's four. That's eight hundred dollars a week. That was like my bar tab. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a like different world. That's why I'm like staying low profile, um, trying to make this thing work. Do like you I miss? Know. Do you miss making that kind of money in the lifestyle it afforded you? Like, do you miss the hustle? You no, know, I'm going to be honest with you. I miss the money, but I don't miss the lifestyle because the lifestyle hey. was what led to my demise. Right. Yeah, yeah. In the way yeah. I treated people. Yeah. Right. I mean, I was always too busy, selfish, didn't spend enough time with my kids, my ex-wife, you know, all that stuff. Now, 
if I had it all to do over again, that's what's important. Because what did I end up with at the end of the day by myself in a cell? Yeah. yeah. And hurting the people that love me. But I can only move forward, bro. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. Now here, I, I've got to ask this about the prison experience because we, <laughs> you know, we see a lot of movies. Oh, oh, we okay, about to go to the odd, about to go yeah, to we're the going there. We're going yeah, out of DC route now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we, we 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 have to go there. All Let's right? talk about because the rainbow-colored elephant in the room, right? Yeah, I need I need to I need to I need to know how accurate these shows are because if you watch a show like Oz, Anthony, I don't know if you've ever watched it, but it, it makes it look like some guy is getting raped every two minutes in that show. So what? Is is does that kind of thing happen in prison, and is, is it as prevalent right, as these right. movies and TV shows have led us to believe? In your experience, well, not in federal prison. A lot of those are state prisons. Right. Okay. I don't know what happens there. Both my times were in federal prison. I mean, there's some gay shit going on, but it's not the <laughs> And I never dropped the soap or, or had anybody. <laughs> I wasn't gonna ask anything personally, you know. <laughs> no judgment at all, either way. I, just, I was just curious what you saw out there. <laughs> because look, man, we're men, right? We're, we're straight men. We like women. So yeah. if if the first thing I, I don't know if it would be the first thing I would be thinking of, but if I, if I get a 15 year sentence, at least one of the things I'd be thinking of is I'm not gonna have my hands on a woman for 15 years. And, to my, and there's some other dudes that haven't had one, had theirs on a woman in like 30, 50 years. So I'm thinking like, okay, we're gonna probably, we might have to end up coming into it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, to me, it wasn't, it's not even an option. I mean, never. Yeah. I mean, but like you, like you said, guy's doing a life sentence. Guy's kid comes in there with long hair. You know, they have women. <laughs> guys coming in with half operation. Look, yeah. <laughs> they went from man bun to, you know, 20 years, you know, just that quickly. So now all of a sudden now, you know, they were all, you know, metro before they got locked up. And they're in there for some, they're selling fucking ecstasy at a rave, you know. And now, now he's in federal prison. Okay. So he's coming in all pretty. And I'm like, okay, dude. So you got to find what's going on. <laughs> Guys in there like, uh, look at that guy's hair. It's like, yeah, you know, she looks. He looks kind of like Beyonce. He's got the exactly. low voice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if the lighting is just right, you know. <laughs> you know, he's that dude's slim thick. I don't know, man. <laughs> so. How about the ones that come in with the operation? They have breasts. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, you know, that's that's. Yeah, well, I, I guess they're either very popular or <laughs> or they're in. A, or they're abused quite a bit in prison, I would imagine, are the, the two options that they come across. Right. Yeah, that's when you see the late-night uh, meetings. <laughs> late night meetings. Oh, right. <laughs> I, went to, I used to go to bed early and, and get up early. So. <laughs> <laughs> I a lot of shit went on late night in those bathrooms. Like, uh, I got my I'm dog good. to take care of. You got I'm good. Over that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, what, about, what about drug use in prison? Are people able to get in alcohol and all kinds of contraband? Yeah, it's prevalent. Okay. Yeah, that's what I would imagine. So people are getting high in there or cocaine, even more heroin or just whatever they want, huh? Yeah, no problems. That's, that's, wow. that's, that's another wow. in, industry in itself. Well, that's what I hear. See, my friend Tim Larkin said that in a lot of these prisons, because he's he's never been in prison, but he does a lot of self-defense and he's worked with law enforcement. He said there there's a power structure that wants everything moving in a smooth manner because everyone's trying to make money. So often we hear about 
you know, this ga- this gang wants to fight this gang, and th- these guys are going to fight the Nazis, and then the Mexican mafia is going to fight these people. And his oh, his experience talking to people is that all of these different factions work together because they all want to make money. So they don't want to get into violent confrontations. They don't want to get into gang wars. Yeah, does that does, does that sound accurate to you? Yeah, everybody wants to get along, and in, in, uh, especially in that field. Yeah. But there's cutthroats everywhere. Nobody's. Oh, I'm just, sure. Just like out here. Yeah. Yeah, because greed doesn't care where it goes. Prison, you know, playground, it doesn't matter. You know, someone, someone's going to be greedy. You know, still, right. You still got that human factor in, in all of this. So. Yep. Snakes are everywhere, too. Exactly. How, how, is, how is life on the outside similar to life on the inside? Hmm. I don't know. This <laughs> is like a new world for me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, the only thing I would say similar is, and I haven't really been around many people, is like we were just talking about, the snakes in every place, whether it's out here, in there, in the corporate world, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But, like I said, I've been, st- I've basically been staying on myself and focusing on my book, clothing line, and, you know, I mean, I haven't really had much interaction yet because I've had these conditions. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I bring that up because an, another story is there was a guy in our field, Charles Poliquin. He's a, considered the best rain coach. He passed, unfortunately, a couple of years ago. But he said that whenever he traveled to various cities to teach a course and he wanted to get a workout in, he would ask, where do all the ex-cons train? People are like, why do you want to know that? He goes, yeah, just, just tell me where they train. And the reason why he liked to go there is because every one there was really respectful. You know, if you're doing deadlift, someone's not going to just walk right in front of you, or you're, someone's not going to just take the plate off the bar <laughs> while you have it on there. Everyone's it's all about respect in there. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people in the outside world they they don't know the consequences of being disrespectful, right. so they think they can get away with it. You know, I, like I see people where they feel like they've made these social agreements, like, oh, I can say this to this person and he's not going to it's not going to lead to a physical confrontation because he doesn't want to get in trouble and the blah, blah, blah. But some people don't give a fuck about getting in trouble. Right. So these little social agreements, you better think it all the way through to the worst possibility because it can go from a shouting match to a fist fight real fast. And I think, I, I think people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Someone could get killed in this whole thing. Gunfight, knives, whatever. And but so, I, but I think someone who's been in the world that you've been in, you understand the consequences of losing your temper, and also of being disrespectful, because there has to be a certain level of respect among most people on the inside, for it to not completely be chaotic. Yeah, I mean, you you can't let people get away with certain stuff, no matter what. Right. So if you get severely disrespected, your Boston guys are going to be like, go handle this. Right. If you don't, then they handle you. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, right. yeah. It's like, like, like I was saying out here, people cut me all the time in the supermarket, in, in their car, <laughs> and they're in a hurry to get to a red light. I'm like, come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It happens to be all the time. Yeah, my wife and I talk about that. Man. I was like, okay, now you're at the stop sign. You're at the red light. Was it worth it? Did you get Did you get to where you need to any faster? I'm still right here, dude. <laughs> you know, I'm, now I'm I'm behind you. I'm beside you. You know, so you always got to ask yourself, like, dude, 
there are some people, like I said, I'm in a state where road rage is very prevalent. You got to ask yourself, man, like, is really, is it just because you're running late? Is your life really worth it by being five minutes late? Or just the fact that you just have no patience? Like, you got to ask yourself, how much, how much is your life really worth? Because you don't know who that person is and what they had going on that day and what they had in their vehicle at that time. You know, so that's something I explain to my students when I'm teaching them concealed carry courses. I'm like, hey, once you get this thing, man, you know, once you're able to carry this gun around, you got to your life changes. <laughs> Everything changes. All the things you used to do, you're not going to be doing that anymore. Things that used to piss you off, you need to throw it right out the door, man. Just, you know, suck it up and realize because at the end of the day, you've got you may have a bit of an advantage over this person that could cost you your life by, you know, by putting their life in jeopardy over some BS. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, OK, he cut you off. He gave you the finger on the freeway. Is that worth 20 years? You got to ask somebody that. Like, so because a lot right. of times people don't think about that. They just react. They, they're full of their emotions, but not logic, not reason. You know, and I'm like, think about the things that you are willing to give up, the things you're going to lose just for that split second. It's something you did in a split second. And somebody, the math sucks, man. Something that took you three seconds to do cost you 20 years, 50 years. You know, so I'm like, do the Harley, math. Harley Flanagan in the new Chromax record, he has a song about, he talks about where do you want to be in a couple hours, and it's all about the decision you make right now in this heated situation could land you in prison or worse if you're not right. willing to walk away. So you have, he's been in situations where someone's hostile on the metro, and in the yeah. past he would have just gone apoplectic on the person. Right. But now he pulls in the <clears> reins <throat> because he's going, look, I just want to get home. I want to see my kids. You know, I want right. to see my wife. I'm not looking to have to get into some kind of confrontation here that's going to leave me into the prison system or worse. Just like Anthony was just saying, you know, he had his kids, you know, grandkids and all that. You take all that stuff in perspective. So I just asked myself, like, yeah, somebody, do I want to spend my life hanging out with my grandkids, watching them grow up, <laughs> or spending 10 years with Tiny over there in cell block six? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of good. Tiny, you ain't, you're not that cool. Okay. I, my son, right? He's a, a black belt in karate. Yeah. And he's from like a suburb city. So he's like a tough kid. You know, he's big, he's six foot one. But I always tell him, son, you're, you might be tough with your hands, but when you go to the city, these kids got knives, guns. Right. So, you know what I mean? Rins. All that toughness <laughs> means nothing then. Right. Exactly. And I, and I always tell him it to beat it into his head because kids get cocky and they forget, like you're saying, there's always somebody out there tough or, or willing to do something worse. Exactly. Not everybody's compassionate like me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you never know what people are prepared to do. You never know what someone's skill set is. You can't just look at someone and say, okay, exactly. this person looks like he knows how to fight or not. It doesn't mean anything what someone looks like. You could be like, just because someone is – I mean, most the average person, they see someone who's big. They think, okay, you know, don't mess with that guy. And that guy may not be able to fight himself out of a paper bag <laughs> for all you know. You know? <laughs> because weightlifting is not fighting. That, it's, there's two different skill sets. It's, you know what they say? The littlest kid can win because it only takes six pounds of pressure. <laughs> right. Pull that trigger. Right. Yeah. right. Right. Someone who's got that six pound of pressure and is accurate with it. Exactly. Versus someone who maybe can apply a lot more pressure but can't land the mark, has no has no technique or fighting ability. Come on, come on. That, that six pounds of pressure can go from the fist or a trigger. 
Okay. I'm talking about, right. Yeah, I'm talking. I know what right. Anthony's talking about. I'm oh, like, okay. yeah, that's, that's, that's about yeah, about five and a half pounds of pressure on the Glock. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I see what you're saying. I'm with you, man. So even with Michael said, even with the accuracy, I'm like, yeah, that works in both worlds. With the fist, it's like he doesn't. Yeah, I, 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 of course, knew all that when I said that, you know, because I'm such a gun expert over here. I was like, let me drop some gun knowledge for Sincere here. I, I was actually <laughs> impressed that you, I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Mike, you've got guns. They're on your I, arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see you, Train. Okay. I've, got some paint, I've got some paintball guns at the house, but, you know, guns are not easy to get right now, you know. Yeah. You get yours at the gym. Fortunately, in my neighborhood, I'm the equivalent of, I don't know, I'm trying to think of someone super tough, you know, Brock Lesnar walking around, you know, so it's not a, not a, not a, not a target in this neighborhood, that's for sure. There's plenty of easier targets for someone who wants to target somebody. It's like, why are you targeting me in this neighborhood? Just look around, man, right? There's some easy targets here, okay? Do I need to point them out to you? <laughs> I love Vegas. See that guy walking around with like looking at his phone with these, these huge earphones on? completely oblivious to anything around him. Why are you talking to me when that guy's there walking around? Okay. <laughs> hmm. What about public, what about public speaking, Anthony, because you're really well-spoken. You have an interesting accent as well, and you have a good presence. I think you would do well with a Ted talk or even something on, on a smaller level to start where you're just doing some kind of community outreach. My whole problem is being able to travel right now. I've got asked to go to New York and a couple other oh, places. Okay. But okay. At, next month, it'll all open up. I'll be coming to Vegas. I want to check you out out there, you guys. Out. Oh, cool. I love Vegas. Yeah, Sincere's in Houston, actually. But, oh, uh, really? yeah, when you're when – you're, what, what are you going to be doing in Vegas? Hopefully, I'm, I'm going to go to Hollywood to see my editor, the girl that edited my book. Okay. And, you know, just talk to her because I'm, I'm writing a second book, a sequel, and I'm, we're going to talk. And then uh, maybe hopefully – Time it so there's like some kind of a seminar or whatever going on in Vegas. Okay. Check out Vegas. Because yeah. that was my stomping grounds before I got locked up. Well, Vegas is fun, but it's a little bit different right now right. <laughs> than what we're used to. Yeah. <laughs> two, three days, have a good time, shop, pool. You can still, yeah, yeah. There's the, the basics you can still do. All the casinos are open. So if you want to check out some nice casinos, that's definitely an option. Stores, a lot of retail stores are open and so forth. Restaurants, most restaurants are open, although it's a little bit strange. You have to wear a mask to walk in. You have to wear a mask until your meal arrives. Once you start eating, you can take the mask off. Once you're done, you have to put the mask back on. But the good news about that is, and Sincere will be able to agree with this is we're both really slow eaters so that mask is never going back on <laughs> they're gonna keep trying to take like no no no, i'm not done yet it's like well you haven't it's like I, I didn't ask you how long it takes me to eat the meal okay i'm not done so, and I'm as long as i'm not done i don't have to put this mask on now do I'm i looking at now, them, I'm like, hey hey social distancing look waiter you're a little too close to me bro <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. if you're not eating so it's like i am eating i'm just eating slowly so shut yeah. up <laughs> <laughs> But you know what's funny? Here's a funny thing. At the gym I go to, right, everyone, they have a mask requirement now. And look, it's, 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 whether I think it's dumb or not is irrelevant. I don't want the business to get fined. So I right, wear a mask yeah. in there, right? Uh, I, my choices are if I don't want to wear a mask, then I'm going to work out at home. That's what some people did. If I, if, if I want to work out there, then I don't want them to get in trouble and have to shut down or get heavily fined because I can't put on a fucking mask for a little while. So I wear the mask and I, I, I work out hard with it. I've I've adapted to it fairly quickly, 
But guess who doesn't wear a mask in the gym? There's a certain very specific, precise demographic of a person that doesn't. Women. <laughs> no, no, it's not women. It's old white guys. Oh, I was about to say, well, I was to say it's either women because, you know, they're like giving them a little leeway or it's going to be some old people. No, it's old white guys. And it's not because they're, because they're Americans because they're Americans. That's why. No, because old white guys feel like they can do whatever they want. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're Americans. I didn't say Americans. I said America, like America. Okay, okay. that's the demographic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny is uh, I, I didn't want to waste time in there, but I was going to I was going to take my mask off because every time someone else was taking their mask off, someone would come over and say, hey, you got to wear that at all times. There's signs everywhere. So as a little social experiment, I was going to take my mask off to see how long it took for someone to come over. And then I was just going to point to one of the guys and say, like, well, I guess I, I was going to say something like, oh, OK, I guess non-white people have to wear the mask, but not old white. You know, say it really loud like that, just make a scene <laughs> out of it. <laughs> get your Kevin on, man. You know, go ahead. Yeah. Get your get your I'll, husband I'll of Karen on. <laughs> because I'm not gonna, I'm not going to go be a snitch either. I'm not going to go up to the manager and be like, hey, you know, that guy over there is not wearing a mask. That's not. I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm not that kind of person. Number one, and it's not my responsibility to do that. It's their responsibility to do that. But just out of curiosity, I was going to see if if there's a double standard here or not. So maybe if I took mine off, maybe no one says jack shit, or maybe they come over immediately and say, hey, you got to wear a mask. And then That's I said, well, they have to wear a mask. It's <laughs> yeah, hilarious about that. That demographic needs to wear a mask the most. <laughs> because I'm like, dude, you do realize you're about to die, right? He's like, don't make it easy for the Grim Reaper. I mean, you know, he's he's in this gym right now. He's over there doing deadlifts right now. And he's just he waiting for you. He's wearing a mask. <laughs> he's going to catch you in the shower, okay? But, but this, this, this is an old white guy who's on TRT, in which I'm not knocking. The guy's in his 70s. And, he, and he's very jacked for a guy in his 70s. That's all fine and good. But I know he's on TRT. He's definitely on growth hormone. He's probably on a couple other things because he's got veins coming out of his fucking shoulders. His traps are to his ears. But you know what the funniest part is? This guy never works legs. Never. So he's got nothing. Now, it's so funny to look at this guy because from the waist up, I mean, he's jacked, almost like a cartoon character jacked. And that's all he does is upper body. But his lower body? Nothing. Nothing. It looks like a fucking flamingo. He's the oldest, fittest martini glass you've ever seen. (laughs) You push this guy, he would topple over over. (laughs) like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, whatever they call that in Italy. This guy would fall right over. If you got into a fight with this guy, you just pushed his shoulder really hard, he would go over so fast, it wouldn't even be funny. So that cut that that alone cracks me up. The other thing that I find amusing is this guy's wife used to complain about me deadlifting all the time. She used to complain that I'm making too much noise. And she would complain to one of the guys at the attendant, and then the attendant, who I'm friendly with these people, so he would come over and be like, Look, man, I just have to make it look like I'm coming over here. <laughs> you know, to tell you something. He's like, I don't really care. And I was like, Well, you know what? I don't want you to get in trouble, so I'm I'm gonna stop and or I'll 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 try to put the bar down gently. But the thing is is if you're deadlifting over 500 pounds, you can't kiss the floor with it. You, you can't put it down gently. You can hurt your back trying to put it down slowly. Now, you don't have to drop it from your fucking knees like these asshole teenagers do, trying to be all ostentatious, a bunch of ostentatious twats trying to get attention. I was like, look, man, your bitch ass is not even dipping, you're not even deadlifting three plates. So don't drop it from the fucking waist. <laughs> so, you just so like I to watch it bounce, that. man. That's all that is. It's like, oh, well, there's one I guy that you talk about sincere. This one guy had the bumper plates on, and he was hitting the floor so hard that the bar bounced up a foot on each rep. I was laughing watching that. I was like, man, you haven't done one rep yet. 
You know, all you're doing is catching the rebound. You haven't done one thing. So you have so it's always teenager guys who do this too. Right. Now, meanwhile, I'm lifting twice as much as them. Sometimes even probably three times as much as them. And I'm not putting the bar down gently, but it's under control. If you watch me deadlift, I'm not dropping the bar at any point, no matter how much weight is on. I'm always putting it down under control. It's a controlled descent so that it's not sloppy. And when you're so sloppy on the way down, now you have to reset every time to pick it up. But anyway, this I just find it amusing that here's a guy who is refusing to wear a mask. No one's saying jack shit. When this guy's wife would complain about me deadlifting, of course, someone would have to come over and either pretend to say something or say something. So there's a little bit of a double standard here. Well, what you're saying is that her her happiness at the gym is more important than mine. Or they might be working in your favor, Mike. They're probably tired of that old couple as well, so they want them not to wear a mask so they can die, and they they don't have to deal with them anymore. So it's just like – and then they they probably feel like everyone wins now. You don't have the complaining couple around anymore, and everybody else can just go on about their workout, and the sab doesn't have to be bothered anymore. So that could be happening. Yeah, that's morbid and dark, but, hey, it's it's an option. Okay, it could be that too. Speaking of powerlifting, Anthony, were you ever at a a prison where – because I know there's there's powerlifting contests in some prisons and a lot of, not a lot, but some people really get into powerlifting when they're in prison. Was that something you ever saw? There was dudes that could lift the gym. It was crazy. That guy's, a, <laughs> they could do like, I don't know, like over 500 pounds benching like eight times. I was like, wow. One place kid was doing 650. On the wow. In the power, in the uh, deadlifts, they were like crazy numbers too. Ken, were they were they able to get anabolics in there? Was that also part of the drug trade, steroids and things like nah, that? I don't think really. So. Okay, so these are basically natural yeah. lifters. That's incredible. Right. You said really big dudes in there, freaks. Yeah, and just pretty much living off meat and potatoes. Yeah, <laughs> no supplements. You know, no pre workout, no right. no shakes. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, not six meals a day. So well, it reminds me of when I was. My mother's from India, so we went to as a kid. We went to Nepal, or uh, not? Was it Nepal? No, it was. uh, Oh man, what's the name of that place? You can't even go there now. Kashmir. Yeah, this is way before. Now it's really dangerous. No one goes there. But then we were able to go there, and we did this horse ride up this really steep mountain, Himalayas, right? And there was an old guy, and this guy looked like nothing. But this old guy walked up that mountain like it was nothing. And whenever the horse would get tired, he would help the horse. Wow. So, you know, let's say it's a cliff. He would have his hands all over the horse to make sure the horse doesn't slip and and get injured and so forth. Sometimes he would start to – and he would have old – he would be carrying a lot of our stuff on his back. So he would have his luggage and so forth. And this, this, I always think of that guy as the strongest person I've ever met because he looked like nothing. He had these broomstick legs. He just looked like an old man, but he's got that old man strength. Yeah, he's got <laughs> that's, that's, what we, that's what we call that in the hood, man. That's the old man strength. You don't mess with that old man. <laughs> yeah, man. This, I mean, the average person would have a hard time walking up that mountain. Honestly, if I went there right now, I would probably have a hard time. So I'm not used to it. But the average person would have a hard time with nothing, carrying nothing, just walking up this mountain. And here's this guy with all kinds of stuff on his back, and he's pushing a horse up the mountain. And then he would eat a bowl of rice at the top. <laughs> that's only that's his sustenance for the day. <laughs> Fueling up, yeah. Yeah, a bowl of rice and whatever else was in it. I don't even remember. I just remember it was a big bowl of rice. And so, so I think that. And then I, I sent sincere this video of these guys lifting at a refugee camp in Uganda. There was, these are people from all over Africa that were in war torn parts of the of the continent. 
that ended up being refugees in Uganda, and they they made their own gym equipment because they didn't have anything. So they just put cinder blocks together and put tires on the end of bars. And these guys were pretty jacked. You know, they had really impressive physiques with this limited equipment. And they said the biggest problem they had was just getting enough food to forget about for thriving just so they're not hungry. They go, you know, we're basically hungry all the time, and we could train even harder if we had more calories. So it, it just goes to show that it's it's being strong and fit is not as complicated as a lot of people would like to make it. Where it's like you have to have everything perfectly right. You got to have the right gym equipment. You got to have the right diet. You got to have this dialed in. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen. I mean, you meet people all over the world who have such limited options, and and they're still the average person in Kenya is way in way better health than the average more, American. Exactly, way more athletic. I mean. But you, you have to ask those people. So, what were people doing a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, five thousand years ago when right. they didn't have these, when they weren't living off six meals a day with you know eating one gram of protein or two grams of protein per pound? Hell, they didn't even know how much they weighed. So, <laughs> how would they even factor all that stuff in? So, basically, that's just a lot of Westerners taking in a lot of marketing and living off a lot of marketing because these people need to make money. So that's why they sold this stuff, and that's what people kind of forget about. They, right. they have to sell this equipment, sell this food, and sell these supplements. So they, you know, they just indoctrinate you to believe all this crap. But I'm like, you know, people were strong way before all this stuff, right? <laughs> so, and probably a lot stronger. I mean, they were fighting, they're fighting animals out in the wild sometimes. <laughs> Well, I mean, on that note, make sure you folks use that coupon code, LLA12, get 12% off the best nutrition supplements out there. Now, if these guys in Kenya had it, they would notice a difference, okay? I can tell you that. If they took took a serving of Overpower, my new pre-workout supplement, they're going to know, okay? (laughs) And when you're taking those supplements and you're looking good, you can be wearing the convicted vegan wear. If you can find that. (laughs) <laughs> www.theconvictedvegan.com <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm going I'm to be wearing that shirt this week at some point for sure when I train I, w- I want to make sure it's on you know, i got to do something impressive though wearing <laughs> all kinds of good, women's wear everything <laughs> oh women's wear too cool yeah. well what you need to do Anthony is make some masks oh you do have masks don't you yeah, yeah I have masks too yeah I was going to say every apparel company out there is going to be most of them have already come out with their own yeah. masks I've noticed that every heavy metal band has a mask. Every now. band now. Yeah, I hear it. Like, I mean, straight up. Like, well, I'm not even mad at them. So, you know, I'm listening to Sirius. I'm hearing about everybody's like, hey, even Metallica, <laughs> you know, those old parts are doing it, you know. Get your get your slip on mask and matching panties, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you, know have un- you got underwear for your face and your <laughs> <laughs> you got face panties and butt panties. So there you go. <laughs> What's that, Anthony? I, I was going to say, I, I was going to come up with a, uh, oh, I'm going to, I'm in the process of designing some convicted vegan wear for dogs and cats. Oh, really? That'd be cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Like a harness or some kind of jacket, something like that. Yeah, hoodies. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. A lot of people yeah. like that stuff. That, that, yeah. that could be, that could be your, those could end up being your best sellers. Yeah. Well, dogs are more loyal yeah. than humans. So Man, That is true. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Two markets you'll always win in, man, is kids and, and, and animals. <laughs> yeah. So, so to them, you always win. Because everybody's like, oh, my God, it's so cute. And I can just imagine seeing a toddler walking around with a convicted vegan hoodie on. That'd be kind of dope. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, talking to you, Anthony, you seem – I mean, you come off like a very intelligent person. You're very well-spoken. You're very wise. You've obviously been through a lot of 
a lot of tough things. Do you think that you had to go through the prison experience to become the person you are now? No question. I'd be dead or, in, or doing life if I didn't have, you know, doing this little. To me, it's a little, but compared to other guys, but right. 15 years could have been a lot worse. So, yeah. So I'm thankful. You know, I mean, I, if I didn't have the awakening and change, then that would be different. But I'd probably be dead right now. I had a lot of friends overdose while I was away. I have, you know, I lost some family members. It's been tough, but overall, I mean, I probably wouldn't be here right now. So I got to be thankful for what I can be thankful for. Yeah, because you seem you seem to have flipped what most people would would label as a very negative experience, but you've fueled it into a positive. And I think that's what you have to do with every negative experience. You have to flip it and make it positive. But I've always been really fascinated by people that end up in the prison system and then just make this transformation. And the one that comes to mind the most is Malcolm X. I'm a big fan of Malcolm X. And Malcolm X was a hustler. He was a criminal. And then he got into the nation of Islam in prison and changed the whole trajectory of his life. And then we realized, I mean, obviously he was intelligent as a criminal, but no one's really going to know that. But once he became a national speaker for the nation of Islam, and you see him in these debates and how well-spoken he is and how fast he is on his feet, how quick he is to deal with questions and so forth. I mean, it's really interesting to me. That's amazing, actually, to become that, you know, change your life completely and be someone who's, you know, good good for the community, good for everybody. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here we are over 50 years later. We're still talking about him, and he still has an impact on generations that weren't even around, you know, when he was there. Right. You know, it has a very large impact just on my life and things that I do. Right. And got my kids and the same thing. So it's just that right there says a lot. And you you tend to forget, like, hey, you know, his early beginnings. You tend to forget all that. But then you got to understand, like, if it weren't for those early beginnings, probably wouldn't have become the man that he was before his demise, you know. It all played a big part in that. So, again, again, he became – he let his – he let everything, he let all that stuff that happened to him actually happen for him and let his life be a testimony and not become a victim of it and just be, and use it as an excuse. Like, man, look at me, man. You, you understand? I've been to the system. Da, 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 da. He didn't, he wasn't feeling sorry for himself. So, so I think a lot of times even folks out here can get caught up in being that victim mentality. So yeah. it's like, he's like, come on, man. Well, it's like, you're a lot. First of all, the fact that you're breathing. Hot air right now, the bitch and complain is a blessing in itself. So that right there should give you reason to stop complaining at the most part because right. you can, you actually have a platform where you can actually have the time to, to bitch and complain because other people who are not doing so well, they don't have time to bitch about it because their lives depend on them doing whatever they need to do to survive. So they don't have time to sit there and have a conversation in the park about how tough it is and how they're sick of COVID and, you know, pretty much where's my stimulus check and all this other crap. <laughs> I'm talking about like, man, you think Trump will give us a second stimulus check? I'm like, really, dude? I always <laughs> say, I always say it's not a stimulus check. It's a welfare check. <laughs> exactly. So like, so I was like, look, man, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with welfare, but I'm just saying what it is. You, are, you are a recipient of <laughs> welfare. So let's just call it what it is. You're getting money for nothing because <laughs> right. you think you deserve it. And right now, like Carol was telling my wife, my wife was telling me that at Amazon, you could you could work at Amazon at Whole Foods or at putting together yeah. groceries for people like me who order it or yeah. at the warehouse. And you get paid 17 bucks an hour. So all these people that are going, look, you know, I can't work right now. Bullshit, man. There's like, there's an Amazon warehouse in almost every state in America. There's Let's one in Vegas out. that hires people on the spot. You just show up at the meeting. You're hired. 
Well, they're really about to be out of excuses because, okay, a lot of the malls around the country have done, you know, they've lost like their anchor stores like JCPenney and Sears and all that. Well, Amazon's making a play to like buy all those spaces up and use those as distribution centers. So guess what? (laughs) It's about to stimulate the economy again because they're going to be jobs. They're going to need people because right now the biggest thing the country needs right now is the the industrial industry as far as like um, the market. Because right. they need warehouses now because so many places have shut down and so many places are doing online work. And, I mean, hell, Anthony, you're going to need it because you have clothing. So guess what? You're going to need a distribution center somewhere, yep. somehow. Where, somewhere in the supply chain, you're going to need that. So it's going to be a demand for that. Guess what? Those places are going to need people to work. So you got to ask yourself, like, look, man, your little reduced $400, you know, a week of unemployment because it's not six anymore. You know, it got reduced to four. You, know, you got to ask yourself, like, how much, how do you think you're going to be able to sustain that? You know, yeah, that, that was cool for about four, but six months with the $600. But now you're down to $400. Like, you're probably, you're making less than a lot of people who are already on welfare. You know, so, and a lot of them were struggling. So what makes you think that, you know, especially your lifestyle you've become accustomed to? You know, come on, man. Just don't sit there and say there's 90 jobs out there. Just say there's jobs out there you just don't want to do. Right. Just be honest about That's it. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> so you don't want to work, man. You guys used to sitting at home and you're like, you know what? I don't have to be in traffic. I can sit here all day and play Call of Duty. You know, they just got the new version out now. I'm like, come on, man. I'm, I'm trying to get to level four. I don't have time to go to work. <laughs> so come on. <laughs> well, I think that's something that, Anthony, that you probably get in the prison system as well is that you don't have this level of entitlement where you feel you're too good for something. And I think a lot of us in the outside world have that level of entitlement where they feel I'm either going to do this kind of job. And if I can't do that, then I'm just going to sit around because I'm too good to be an Amazon worker or to put together groceries for someone at Whole Foods. I go, you're not too good for it when you have no income coming in and you have bills <laughs> to pay. <laughs> yeah. You do what you have. In prison, you're going to do whatever you got to do to survive. Yep. Right. What if it's run tickets, if you have no money, or um, work? I mean, guys work with this factory work in there and everything, so. Right. Survival, you have to eat. I mean, there's commissaries where you get food, and you can't just live off that the meals they serve you because it's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you got to drop your ego. If you need money, then you got to do whatever you got to do. Right. What is, is that how people get more calories in though? You're able to buy certain foods if you have the cash? Yeah, once a week they have a, you can go to the store. And what's, what's available there? Um, I mean, a lot of junk food and stuff, but you have, uh, tuna <laughs> fish, just good stuff too. We can buy rice, tuna, um, toppings to put on everything. They have, they even have, um, packaged meats. I mean, a lot of guys like the donuts and all that stuff, too. That's what, you know, they put all the weight on. But they have, they have some good stuff, but, you know. Maybe maybe that's just a protective mechanism to not get raped because if you're, <laughs> right. you're really, you're really, you know, you're you know, fat you make, and unattractive, you're sweating all the time, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I'll be you leave me alone. You know? Make your body as unattractive as possible. <laughs> The problem is, you're like, yeah, you know, your your hips are looking pretty wide there, though. Exactly. With <laughs> man, you're looking like my girl outside, man. You know? <laughs> Grow your hair out, man. You look just like it. Y'all have the same mustache. Like, come on. <laughs> they, they make it look a lot worse than it is on TV. <laughs> exactly. no, because other people, I've asked this question to other right. people that have served time, and they always say, they, they kind of laugh when I bring it up. They're like, no, 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 no. Because like, like, like Oz if, if I were, a, I mean, Oz, when Oz came out, I was in my, I think I was 25, 26 when the first season came out. Yeah, yeah. But if, if I were in high school 
and let's say I'm 14 or something, and my dad's going, look, you're acting up, so let's watch a couple. Let me show you where well, you're You, you know that's up. my story, though, right? I know, you know, I know, I, I've, I've told that story many times with my son. You know, when he started acting up, I made him sit there and watch those episodes and, and make sure he watched the most graphic rape episodes ever. My <laughs> my ex-wife at the time used to get so pissed off. She's like, why are you showing him that? I said, because you'll thank – first of all, you'll thank me for this later. I said, I'm saving you a lot of, like – collect phone calls right now okay so he would sit there and watch that and he'd just be terrified at the time he was about man he's probably about like seven eight years old i'm like let, let me get him now okay let me, let me watch this now before it gets out before these tween years happen and before the teen years get here and it's funny to this day i mean he's about to be 26 next week we still laugh about it. He said, man, I'm, he said, dad, I'm so glad you showed me that stuff. He said, because every time I was about to get in trouble, like at school with some friends, I thought about those episodes of Oz you showed me. And like, he said, I'm a little too pretty for that stuff. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's why I used to tell us, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty. Okay. <laughs> I said, just keep that in mind. No man, no man, I don't care what age, you know, if you're straight, you don't want to hear yourself being called pretty. He doesn't want. I'm like, yeah, you know. I said, you got a pretty face, and you know what's attached <laughs> to your face, right? <laughs> and like, she, my my ex wife gets so pissed. I said, like, you know, your mouth is attached to your face. Now I know you don't understand exactly what that means right now, but just see that scene right there. It, it could get a lot worse. There's certain things they're not going to show you on TV right now. So just imagine that happening in your mouth. Okay, like I would say stuff like that. He's to this day he cracks up. He's like, yeah, I'm glad you told me that. I needed you to be real with me. So and he changed his friends up too when he got older. Because he would think about those things. I'm like, yeah, I, I think you need to show your sons that stuff, man. They need to see that. Even if that is kind of extreme because it's entertainment or whatever, just let them show that this is an option. It doesn't mean that it will happen, but it could, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's, fun, it's funny. It's certain, funny. Certain things you don't want to get complimented on by other dudes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, hey, Mike, has anyone ever told you you got some really nice full lips? I was like, hey, man, yeah, women. Women. Mouth. Come on, women pretty mouth. First of all, who says that? <laughs> pretty mouth. What the hell? Man? Or, there's this one guy who's going, yeah, you know, a lot of guys at my gym are really top heavy, but you know, you're really well. He's like, he's like, you're really well balanced, Mike. I mean, your upper body's built, but you know, you got an ass. You got this. I was like, what are you doing looking at my ass? Man? First of all, <laughs> I'm gonna stop you right there. Okay. <laughs> What's going on here? Exactly. <laughs> Do I need to change right. memberships? Do I need to change locations? What is going on? No, this this wasn't a guy at the gym. This is a guy at the oh, dog okay. park. But I'm like, what are you this doing? Like yeah, exactly. It is worse. Why are you noticing my ass at the dog park? At least at the gym, you could say maybe you caught me doing deadlifts and you just happened to walk by behind me. You know, you couldn't help but notice. But at the dog park, so you're at the dog park and you're looking at my ass. Okay, that's great. <laughs> so, Anthony. Anthony, because we'll we'll start wrapping this up, but just a couple of questions on the vegan diet. So when you when you get out, you started moving towards a plant based diet. Well, what are you eating each day right now? Is there a certain plan you have? Certain foods you put together? Yeah, I do a lot of creative things too. But I've been noticing when I eat a lot of the processed food, like the Beyond Burgers and all that, yeah. I, I don't feel that great when you do when I do it too much, like the fries and all that. So <laughs> lately, I've been eating a lot of fresh food. I've been juicing. I've been eating a lot of the, you know, for breakfast I have a plant-based protein drink and I put in, you know, the fresh fruits. And then uh, I'll eat a lot. I'm eating a ton of watermelon. Yeah. I love watermelon. I'm cleaning my system out lately. Hydration too, man. When it's hot like this, I'm like just craving it. It keeps you hydrated. You need that potassium and and it helps clear you out, (laughs) you know. It's really good with that too. So, yeah. Yeah. I get creative. Like I make uh, nice pizzas. 
make a lot of yeah. Italian food too when I'm craving like you know mm. food that I used to eat, but you know obviously it's different now. Well, you may have a, a convicted a convicted vegan cookbook in exactly. the works down the line. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Once you play around with this stuff a little bit more. I'm actually been thinking about that. A quick cookbook. In other words, quick meals that taste delicious. Like last night I made a baked potato, right? And then I made mushrooms in the uh, – I fried – I sautéed mushrooms. And then I made my baked potato. And then I cut up the baked potato and put it in with the sautéed mushrooms. It was unbelievable. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, it was like a, it was delicious. So I've been messing around a lot with potatoes and my like mushrooms and stuff like that, like uh, cannellini beans. And I yeah, potatoes. Yeah, too. those are good. I love them. Sometimes I come up with these recipes that I never would have come up with, but I come up with them because you you don't have much around. Maybe you need to do groceries, but you don't want to do it right away. So you just look at what's around. You go, okay, let me just grab these five different things, throw it together. And then it ends up being something you really like and something you continue to make. Yep, exactly. And it's quick. So yeah, it's good for – I mean I think it's, it's kind of pathetic to me when I see grown men who can't cook a meal to save their life. I mean my, my dad couldn't make a grilled cheese sandwich if his life <laughs> depended on it. <laughs> you know? It's like how do you, do you – how do you use the toaster? Get, you know? <laughs> How do you make hot tea? It's like, well, you push that button on that pot, wait for it to get hot, then you pour it in a glass with a tea bag in it. See? <laughs> so I think I think men should know how to cook meals. You should know how to. I actually like cooking. I enjoy most of the time. Sometimes I'm tired. I'm like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. But most of the time, I enjoy it because I like putting together things. I like seasoning the food, and and it gets you. It's more you're more appreciative of the meal when you eat it, and also it, it actually heightens your senses. It's like an anticipatory type thing. Because well, you, you're using As all your senses, it, you use yeah. them all. You're smelling, you're seeing, you're touching, you're tasting. You know, so you get to use all your senses at once. Whereas everything else, just going out, is very passive. You know, well, I'm not. I'm not talking about what you do in the bedrooms. And we're talking nah, about. Hey man, look. <laughs> hey man, a meal's a meal, man. Okay. You know, <laughs> there's a meal for every. There's a meal for every category and every activity. Okay. You just make sure that you eat from a clean plate. Okay. So just remember that. Imagine hey. someone who just walks, like, just starts listening at that moment. It's like, look, man, you're touching, you're you're smelling, you're touching, you're feeling. You know? <laughs> like, what's he talking about? Like, Mike, where, are you, where are you going with this? You were at the park five minutes ago, Mike, with a girl, with a guy telling you had a nice ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Someone walks in on that, or someone's listening in on that. Like, what kind of park are you going to, man? <laughs> That's you feeling? What? That's a nice neighborhood. What kind of park is this? <laughs> this is very George Michael of you right now, Mike. It's like, <laughs> Funny. Uh, well, cool, man. This has been great. Really appreciate your time, Anthony. Really informative. You're a fun guy to talk to as well. And where can people find out more about everything you have going on? You can go to uh, my website, theconvictedvegan.com. My store is there. I keep people posting on like when my movie. There's a photo gallery. There's uh, the last podcast I did is up there, um, and then you can find me on Instagram, the Convicted Vegan, or Facebook, Anthony Bucci, and also the Convicted Vegan I have a business page too on Facebook. Awesome. Yeah. And you said the book is in the process of being published right now. You're working with someone. Actually, it's getting formatted next week. Okay, so it's so it's definitely going to be published. It's just in the process of absolutely awesome. And this is going to be this this will be on Amazon. It'll be on your website. Where where is that going to be available when it's out? Do you know? 
Well, I'm not sure yet. I'm gonna, I'll let people know because I've had some bites from some major production companies, you know, but I don't want to give up my cover. They want to, they want to take over your book. They want to change things. Yeah. Yeah. They want yeah. to change your cover, your back cover, and they uh, <clears throat> go in and be able to change the book. And I work too hard on this. This is like my dream. It's been my passion for years. So I don't know if I want to give it up. I might just self-publish myself. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you may want to do that because at least you – I never even looked at – I've written two books. I never even looked at even trying to get a publisher to take them on because I knew they wouldn't because they were both – especially my Live Life Aggressively book was so unconventional. They would have just revamped the whole thing if they even considered it. And the good the thing about self-publishing is is that it can it, it can be a really good option, but you, you have to have distribution you have to create distribution on your own if you don't have it. Otherwise, it just goes nowhere. It just doesn't sell. So self-publishing is good if you have either a, a distribution network already set up from previous projects or you are confident that you have the ability to create it. Otherwise, a publisher is a good option because if they can get out there in a more prolific way than you can on your own, then it makes sense. But then, like you said, you don't want to, You don't want them to revamp it where it's not even your book anymore. It's your name's on it, but it's it's not your book. They've changed it so drastically. That would happen with articles you get published in magazines. Sometimes I would send an article to a publisher, and it would come out, and I'm like, wow, it doesn't even look like what I wrote. I mean, I still got paid, so I didn't care. You know, that was just an article in a magazine. So what? <laughs> but I would look at it and go, I don't know. I don't even. This doesn't, doesn't even look like something I wrote. Yeah, I'm going to have to talk to you about this, you know, after this, um, get your advice and some uh, tips on how to self-publish, if you don't mind. No, I don't mind. I don't mind. It's a fairly easy process. You use, especially with Amazon, they have CreateSpace, I believe, and that, that basically puts you all the way through it. And I think there's even a formatting option there. The thing is, is though, that you have to have some, I mean, the publishing part's not even the hard part. The hard part is actually getting people to buy it. So if you, if you don't, I had, I've, I had distribution from all, all my years as a kettlebell instructor. I had a pretty big newsletter list and I, I would write philosophical. A lot of the, a lot of the art, a lot of the chapters in the book are articles I wrote for my newsletter that I expanded on. So people were familiar with that kind of philosophical approach coming from me. So by the time the book came out, it sold really well because I had a distribution network that I spent at that time 10 years building by the time the book came out. So it, that worked pretty well, but if if I didn't have distribution, then I don't, I don't know. I don't probably wouldn't have sold ten copies. It's it's there's there's people who try to self publish and you know they don't even sell twenty copies because they just have nothing in place. You can't you can't just put it on Amazon and hope people are going to buy it. See, most of the people who bought it on Amazon, they found out about it on my website and then they went to Amazon and bought it there. I used to sell my supplements on Amazon. I stopped because it was cannibalizing my own business. Right. So what would happen is people learn about my products on my website, and then they go, oh, I wonder if it's on Amazon. And then they go to Amazon, and I had a distributor there. And then they would buy it just because they have Prime and they want the convenience. So I'm sending this distributor a lot of business. He's not doing jack shit. He's just mm -hmm. buying it from wholesale. He's buying it at wholesale and selling it at retail on Amazon. But I'm the one who's sending him all the business. And I know this for a fact because once I pulled the plug on him, all of a sudden, all the business came back to me, and my income went way up 
You know, so it just reinforced my point. So I'm like, fuck Amazon. You know, I'm not going to sell any of my products on Amazon. I don't need to be on Amazon. They got, I'm, I'm on there with all these other shitty ass supplements that don't do dick. that have got a lot of fake reviews, making it look like it's a great product. I, I don't need to be on there with that. My attitude is you want my stuff. You come to me and get it. You're not going to get it anywhere else. Like, oh, can I get this? Nope. My website. What about? Nope. My website. <laughs> you know, you control that distribution. Everybody feels everybody has this fearful attitude about Amazon. It's like, oh, you know, if you're not on Amazon, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna do well or you don't exist. Everybody's on Amazon. I go, bullshit. If you have really good products and the only option is people have to buy it from you, if the products are good enough, they're gonna do that. They're gonna go look on Amazon to see if it's there, but if it's not there, they're not gonna go, Oh well, I'll just get something that is on Amazon. Like, good luck. You're not going to find anything there that's as good as what I have. So have fun with that. Yeah. See, my book, I've been out nine months and I've seen a ton of movies. Yeah. My book, and I can screenplay slash book, is I'm I'm not just saying it because it's mine. I feel it's better than anything out here. That's why I'm trying to land a couple guys in Boston that do production and they're big names. and Right. And they're plant, my lead character is plant-based. So... You know, that, there's never been a plant-based gangster lead character, has there? <laughs> yeah, that, no, I don't. Not that I'm aware of. That's cool. Yeah. So, anyways, my name of my book is Infinity Crew. It's a uh, it's a Boston-based book. It's about five kids who come from different cultural backgrounds who meet in juvenile detention, and they be, they they they're really sophisticated for their age, and as they grow older, they commit you know really sophisticated crimes, strategic crimes. It's a novel. It's a it's a uh, long fictional narrative based on some true crimes and human experiences, you know, that I've, you know, seen with my own eyes or heard about. And then my novel, the names have been changed. You're going to like this one to protect the guilty. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's great. So, I mean, not only, not, not, not only is it a book that you're putting out, it's also a screenplay version that you're working on getting. Yeah. I'm trying to pitch a movie a series, and then a sequel. Because I have it all lined up, you know, over the years. I've, I've got it ready. So I want to, I'm trying to target a couple big actors from this area. I don't want to give any names, but I'm going to be having dinner with a lot of them soon. So we'll see what happens. Maybe some good acting hunting going yeah. on right now. <laughs> <laughs> from Boston. Yeah. Well, I, I, th- I think what will help you actually is, Doing more podcasts, so with yeah, exactly. doing this, this is going to help you for sure. You know, several thousand people will listen to this, and then just making the podcast rounds as much as possible. Basically, anyone who offers you a guest spot on a podcast, you just take it. You just do as many as you can because you'll get better at the skill of doing it too. Because you were saying you're somewhat intimidated of doing this, which I don't think I don't think you should be. That's, I think that's more in your head because you did great. You, you speak very well. You explain your things really well. You have a lot to say. It's, uh, you don't come off awkward at all talking about this. So I think you'll do a really good job on anyone's show, including a Joe Rogan or Rich Roll or some of these bigger shows. <clears throat> I'd love to be able to, but those guys, nobody, you, the only one nice enough to get back to me was for, for a big guy was you. Yeah, that that unfortunately doesn't surprise me because the most people who do podcasts they're thinking, okay, we want people that have big names that are going to move the ticker. <clears throat> now, this show and also the YouTube show I do, and Sincere and I, we talk about this all the time. It's it's all about 
getting interesting guests. I'm not worried about who's going to move the ticker. I'm not worried about, okay, let's get this guest because we'll get big numbers and <clears throat> attract sponsors and so forth. Who gives a fuck? In fact, I'd rather get people that I've never seen on anyone else's show, period. People that may never be on someone else's show because they're not deemed quote-unquote worthy of their show. My attitude is if you're an interesting person, you got an interesting perspective, I want to talk to you. I mean on my YouTube show, I talked to I talked to this Indian girl, Sumana, last week. I talked to this South African girl the week before that. I talked to my friend Juliana in Australia. Three different women. It just happened to line up that way in three different countries, all three really interesting people. And it was interesting to talk to them about what's going on in their countries too. He's like, what's going on in India with this whole COVID thing? What's going on in Australia? What's going on in South Africa? Because one thing that's interesting about this whole pandemic is the whole world is dealing with this. Yep. And I don't know if we've ever had something like that in the history of humankind where everybody is dealing with the same thing. I talked to my niece in India. She's telling me what's going on out there. I'm talking to people in any country. There's no one that hasn't been touched by this. There's no country that really hasn't been touched by this. So I, I think I think a. I'm more interested in talking to interesting people. You know, that's my take on it. A lot of these other shows, they're they're thinking about, okay, if we don't get big guests, we're going to lose sponsors. Like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure if this person. So the problem is, is that the, those bigger shows, they may come to you eventually, but only because you've done every other show, and they start thinking, okay, let me get this guy on the show now. People that blew you off is what I'm saying. People that blew you off and didn't respond to you, all of a sudden they're going to reach out to you. Oh, Mackie. Yeah, Mackie. Yeah. Anthony guy on every podcast. Maybe we need to get him on our show. Yeah. And, and exactly. that's usually how it works. They, you know, <laughs> they, they don't like to be first. But right. they, they damn sure want to be the ones like, yo, you know, we're the guys that blew him up. Like, nah, no, you weren't. No. Right. <laughs> he was That guy was doing this thing way before you popped up. Right. Okay. Right. And you I guys just played it safe. You just played it safe. I don't want to sound cocky, but I'm not stopping till I succeed. So failure is not an option. It's not even in my mind. So whoever rides with me now can ride with me forever. You know what I mean? Because when I land one of these guys in my area, and if I do, it's takeoff. So right. So when I'm big, right. if I ever get big, which you know, the movie The Secret, that's how I live. The law of attraction. I've seen it. I've been seeing it for years. I've been seeing myself on the red carpet. I've been seeing my movie take off. I've been seeing my book be a bestseller. You know what I mean? Because it's a lot. I put my heart and soul into it. I'm a guy that came from, was that nothing, that rock bottom. So I can relate to anybody. I don't have to be in prison. You could be that guy that's stockbroker that lost all his money. Don't kill yourself. (laughs) Come back up and fight. I'll help you. Get a hold of me. You know what I mean? So I'm here for everybody. Anybody needs help. But also... You know, I mean, I want to succeed for my family, for myself, for society in general. You know, what I mean, show people that you know don't ever give up. You, you you can you know persevere no matter what. Well, I want to see you. I want to see you on the red carpet just so you can, when someone interviews you, you can say <laughs> we can hear you say a red carpet in that uh, Boston accent. <laughs> How about this, Mike? You want to see him? Might be right next to me on each side for, for giving me a chance. <laughs> yeah, hey man, that would be an honor. It would be cool. No, I think uh, I think I think it's just a matter of time for you, honestly. When I listen to you talk, and now that I've heard your story and so forth, I mean, you're really good in these these formats. So I think I think audio and visual, audio visual as well as audio, I think those are your your strongest assets because of your personality. 
And I think as, as more people are exposed to that, it'll, it'll just start building. You'll just start building momentum. Look, I mean, my, my advice to you on this kind of thing is these things always take longer than you would like them to. So you have to enjoy the process. I'm enjoying it. Cause, yeah. Cause, yeah. But when it comes, it comes. It'll come at you hard. So, exactly. but, but my thing is with the, the type, the type of energy that you have though, eh, I'm not, I'm not worried about you, man. You'll be yeah. good when it, when it does come. It's like, okay, you're going to just run with that, man. I, I can see that. I post all these posts on Facebook, right? And I, and I do it to keep myself in check. And I tell people, they're my check and balance systems. Because when I say something in life, I do it. So when I post stuff, and I, a lot of people might say, this guy's crazy. He, he thinks, like, I'll say, I say, follow me. I'm going to the red cop. And people are, are probably like, this guy's nuts. But when they, a year or two from now, or hopefully sooner, when they see my shit take off, then they're going to be like, wow, we can do it too. So that's my message for people. Yeah. People, people got to understand. I mean? You have to be nuts when you want to make it, man. Yeah. Absolutely. You got to be crazy. You can't be sane and conventional. You yeah. got to do crazy stuff. You got to take it. wants to be normal. Right. You know, society, especially. Yeah. Wear a mask. Oh, yeah, I'm going to wear my mask. People say to me the other day, speaking of the mask, I'm going to tell you this. I walk into the automotive store, and I'm, I'm eating a popsicle, and I got my mask on. The guy's like, you got to put your mask up. And I'm a, I look at them. I go, you both got masks on. Right. So what are you trying to tell me? If your masks work, why the fuck? Is right. Your mind? Thank you. Well, that's that's why I always tell people, too. I go, as long as you have a mask on, you should be protected. So what are you concerned about whether I have one or not? So my thing is, if you're worried about me having mine on, then is are the masks really working? <laughs> you know, so. yeah. like they say, obesity. Well, well, most, most of the most of the masks don't do jack shit. Like people putting a handkerchief around their face, that does nothing. Five percent protection at most. And then a lot of the masks that use these throwaway masks, those don't do that much either. Now, when you get to the N95, that's a medical mask. That one offers quite a bit of protection. Now we're now we're up to well over 70 percent, maybe even higher than that. But not too many people have those. I don't see too many people. Well, no, because they, they can't find them. those things sold out six months ago. You know, so if you so if you weren't a prepper and already had a, a nice stash of those, you know, yeah. everybody was trying to run out and get them and they were all gone. <laughs> so you know, I have people. Hey, man, you have any in that? Nope. Someone, <laughs> no, I do not. And if I well, did, the, the, I'm saving for a have, real disaster. Yeah, that Bane looking mask. Yeah, that I Bane, wear, yeah. That actually is. I don't think it's an N95, but it's something no. similar to that. Yeah. And it actually has an extra the filter, filter. On the inside yeah. that you can't see. Yeah. yeah. Now, and what I like about it is, is it wraps around your head instead of going over your ears because the ones that go over your ears are really irritating. They pull my ears out. I look like Mickey Mouse walking yeah. around. The funny thing about that, <laughs> you know, even the ones that go around your ears, I'm like, okay, so you. I'm looking at these guys with beards walking around masks. I'm like, you know, you might as well not wear a mask, right? I said, there's a reason why, you know, dudes like in these hazardous conditions, that's why they have to shave. You know, yeah. that, that beard yeah. is not doing you any justice, bro. Yeah, that's true. So, hey, so I'm like, yeah. You're going to tell Mike not to wear that mask that makes his ears come out to the park. look the only reason i wear a mask is because the gym asked me to i'm not wearing it because i think it's useful you know it's i haven't bought into all that yet at least at least the one i have so and and if if i don't when i go to the dog park you don't have to wear a mask and i don't wear a mask as a result of that i only wear if i go to someone's business which right now is every business and i don't want them to get in trouble so it's a courtesy thing it's not because i think that this is some great idea for everyone to be doing 
but at least there's, when you're working out, you don't want this thing falling off your face or it's coming off your ear when you're doing kettlebell swings or something. Right. I mean, the whole thing is so ridiculous. I mean, it's so ridiculous to just walk around now and everybody's got a fucking mask on. It's just, it's just the most absurd thing. It is. Hey, Mike, I have to thank you though, because I've been, the last week I've been leaning out because I wasn't sure whether we were going to do this on the video. Or, yeah, I know you said, audio. <laughs> so I've been, I've been leaning out. Like, I'm like, I've been doing the dumbbells. I'm ready for the, uh, if you ever want me on YouTube, I'm ready, bro. <laughs> yeah, man, we'll do, we'll, we'll do that too. Sure. I mean, once, once this episode, we'll get this episode out first because I don't want to double dip. I mean, I don't want to do something on YouTube and then this episode. Let's focus on this episode getting a nice response. And then down the line, a little bit, a couple of months down the line, when you, things are a little bit further along, we'll definitely do that as well, give you some more exposure. But uh, I, th- I think I think you should get some offers for other shows from this because we have a lot of people who don't like to give us credit. But all of a sudden, I notice a lot of our guests are on their shows talking about similar things and I go, huh, wonder where you have, wonder where you heard about that. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if I, I you, get, was you, start, on... you start getting some other offers and then you just take every fucking podcast offer that you get just to get good at the skill set, and you never know where it can lead you. Did you, did you read the first, my uh, prologue that I sent you? Yes. How good is that? Be honest. Really good. It's really good. My prologue has people like, Everybody I send it to, like, dying to fucking get, send me three more chapters. And I'm like, no, but I send sometimes, I send people three more chapters, and they want more. My uh, my lawyer, entertainment attorney, she's, like, 100% behind me, man. She says it's going to go, so we'll see. Well, that's good. You got all the right people in place. I mean, that's yeah. it's just a, like Sincere said. It's just a matter of time for you. You're doing all the right things. Just keep doing it. Hey, if I keep hooking up with good people like you guys, good things happen when you're around good people. Yeah, that's very true. Like one thing said, about one thing about my career in the fitness industry, I was telling someone the other day is, uh, I've been really fortunate to develop friendships or just acquaintances with really interesting people, people that have gone out of their way to help me a lot, with not because they are, they're trying to get something in return, you know, just because they like me or they benefited from something I did. So I, that's been the, probably the most most incredible thing about being in this industry is, and not even just people in the fitness industry, I've developed friendships with people in bands that I was a fan of when I was in high school. And if it wasn't for the fitness industry, I wouldn't have even gotten into contact with these people. I use that as a way to break the ice in some cases. So, I mean, that, that, that people currency is what I call it. And I don't mean that in a negative way because when people hear people currency, they're, they're thinking of the LA interpretation of that, which is just using people. You look at people as what can they do for you? That's not what I mean when I say people currency. What I mean is just having a network, a supportive network of interesting people that are success driven, just like you are and that everybody fuels each other. It's similar to a mastermind group. It's amazing. I'm just like, I'm still even shocked we're doing this. I shouldn't have been out for two years. So this is, <laughs> every day is a blessing here. Now I'm, I'm with two pros. I'm, I'm enjoying myself. Get to get my story out a little. Kicking it with you guys. It's been amazing. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure. Really, real pleasure having you on. And keep up the great work. How was, can I ask you one question? How was sure. your Rich Roll experience? I'm, I love that guy. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I had a good experience with him. He's very he he has a much different style than let's say we do or even I do at my own show. I I actually don't like to be too prepared, as you know, because you're like, hey, let's talk beforehand. I was like, nah, we'll just do it. <laughs> I was like, we don't need to do that, <laughs> yeah, because I I don't I I don't I don't like to be too well researched because then then it's uh, then I feel like I'm stuck to a script. I've got all these questions in front of me. And I, I've been doing this so long, and since Sincere's been doing not only podcasting for a long time, but he's done radio shows and interviewed all kinds of people. So I, I feel that I, I can I can listen to you and just come up with questions on the spot. I can I can get the conversation going, make you feel comfortable, and then to, I like I like a more organic show. Now, what Rich Roll does is, I mean, he researches you. I mean, he was pulling out shit about me from ten years ago. He's like, oh, so in two thousand six, you did this, and he's one of those kind of guys. And the whole time he's talking to me, he had this all these questions on a piece of paper in front of him. So that's his style of doing things. I'm not saying it's better or worse. This is what he likes to do. Yeah, like I said, I was nervous coming on here, but you guys made me feel 100% comfortable. It's just three guys, like I said, kicking it, and I've enjoyed it. It's been great. Yeah, and that, that's what I told you ahead of time, too. I go, this, that's what it's going to be. It's a laid-back show. It's a conversational-style show. It's not going to just be, okay, question number one. Okay, thanks, Anthony. Question number two. Okay, got it, got it. Good stuff. Question number three. Now, that shit's boring as fuck. Now, Rich wasn't like that. He had a lot of questions, but we got into a conversational flow. But I also I also pretty much just took over the conversation as well, meaning that I I, I brought up stuff that I wanted to bring up regardless of what the question was. <laughs> you know? So you could be like – Hey, so uh, so how do you increase testosterone? I go, well, let me tell you about my friend Ty Ritter of Project Child Save who rescues kids from sex slavery all over the world. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's talk about that. You know, that's what I did. because So I, I made it interesting for myself rather because I don't, I don't like answering questions that I've been asked a million times, which is why I turn down – at this stage of my career, I usually turn down most podcast requests. Not that I get a ton, but most of the time I'm like, eh. I don't want to talk about that stuff now. I don't. I don't want to talk about. Oh, so uh, what are the basics of hormone optimization? Go buy my fucking course. That's the basics of it. Why do I need to explain that here? Fifty bucks, man. Eight hours of material. Go buy it if you if you care. So Go I read the free information on my website. So I, that 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 kind of and like I said, it's because of where I'm at in my career. Early in my career, I I, I didn't mind that. I, I would do anything that I thought was useful to help promote myself. Well, I feel honored, then. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's my pleasure. It's great talking to you. I mean, I'll, I'll actually try to connect you with Rich. Not that I have, not that I'm best friends with the guy, or that you know we're buddy buddy, where he's gonna, where my email is gonna go to the top of his list. But I mean, I, I can definitely at least try. I can just at least recommend you as a guest. The reason why I say I don't have that much influence is because. When I talked about Ty Ritter on his show, afterwards he's like, yeah, man, I, I really want to have Ty on the show. And I go, great. I'll facilitate that. I'll introduce you to him. And I did that. I introduced him to him, and I sent, I did a couple follow-up emails. Nothing came out of it. And this is 2018. Nothing came out of it. Hmm. And I don't think it's because he was too busy. I think he just decided, nah, I don't really want to do that. Because then I'll tell you why. Because we had Johan Hari on our show, one sincere and I do, this show. And he's he wrote the best book on depression I've ever read. Really interesting guy and very sought out, very sought out guy. He's been on Joe Rogan's show. He's been on Bill Maher. He's been he's all over major news networks. But anyway, we managed to get him on our show. And for whatever reason, Rich had a hard time getting him on his show. He just reached out to him, never got a response. So I don't know if it was just good timing or what the deal was. So anyway, I helped. I, I introduced 
Johan Hari's contact, the rich, and I, I made that introduction. I helped things get going there. Johan was on his show like a month later. Hmm. Awesome. But Ty Ritter, he didn't feel was good enough to move the ticker is where I'm going. That's that's my interpretation of it. Because what's more important than saving kids from human trafficking and sex slavery? Everybody should have Ty Ritter on their shows. Joe Rogan, Rich Roll. I mean, it's it's rare for me to tell people what they should be doing. And I wouldn't say it about anyone else. But I don't understand why you wouldn't want to have a guy like that on. Given the amount of good that you could do. I mean, imagine how many donations could possibly come in for that organization on any big show. Yeah, I, I just want to, I've done the, uh, you know, the audios and I love it and it's great. But I want to see if, I, if I'm, I'm always testing myself. I want to see if I can really, you know, talk in front of the camera because you guys, you can't see me waving my hands around. You know, that's how, part of my whole thing is, is my, uh, persona you know what I mean well it's actually easier in my opinion when you have someone in front of you because when I was when I did rich roll show I'm right in front of him and they're filming it that that I actually found easier because he's right in front of me so I, mean, I can't sit there and look at my phone you know I can't look at the wall behind me I have to be focused and he has to be focused and we he talked really for three hours yeah we talked for three hours it wasn't 30 minutes and then I'm out the door I mean it was a three-hour episode but it, there, there was never a time where I felt uncomfortable, or I I felt uh, yeah, there's silence going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you, you, you don't have any verbal, you don't have any physical cues. You you can't right. see when this person is getting ready to talk, or right. You don't see a react when you say something. You see a certain reaction on their face, which can di- redirect you on what you how you respond next. Right. When you do it that way. That's Compared right. Compared to where we're all three of us right now in three different locations, we can't see each other. So in order to try not to talk over each other, since we're not in the same space, you know, you kind of everybody's kind of taking a little bit of a pause, you know, after they speak or whatever. Just kind of make sure that that person make sure that person is not even about to interject. Or if you are talking, you just want to make sure that, OK, I want to make sure that, you know, this guy can have a chance to say what he has to say. Or if he's I'm listening to some, one of you guys talking, I want to kind of wait. Instead of just jumping right in or whatever, which, you know, that took that took time with us not being in the same location doing this show, you know, for the most part, to not talk over it. Imagine having like four people on the show at the same time, you know, then it becomes verbal gymnastics at that point. But after a while, like I say, it becomes practice. But when you're in front of each other, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier. Most people probably think it would be the opposite. So I'm like, you know, that those physical cues, man, go a long way. And so... It does. Yeah, it, it really does. Even with the YouTube show I do, just the fact that I can see the person in front of me. Yeah. That actually, it's actually really helpful because you could, like Sincere said, you can read their expression. Sometimes I say something and I can see what their eyebrows go up. I'm like, okay, they want to say something about that. So I right. go, okay, what do you have to say about that? Huh? What do, what do you, <laughs> you, know, you look, you look like you have something on your mind, man. <laughs> yeah. And also there's, there's no way, not that I'm sitting here looking at my phone while you're talking, but there, you can't do that. When the camera's on, because the person's going to be like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, looking at my phone and the audience is going to be like, why does he keep looking at his phone? (laughs) So there's no, there's no escape. So what I mean, it it, it can be more impactful too, though. Like I had a lady come on from Australia. She talked, she's a survivor of, you know, serious trauma. She was raped by her father for many years when she was a teenager. And she came on this, on my YouTube show and talked about that. So when you see her face when she's right. talking about these things, I mean, it's like I, I, I had a 
I had a hard time not tearing up because I was, I was like, I don't want to lose it while she's telling me the story. But I, I could see the pain on her face. I could see the effect. You know, I could I could see the weight of it of have, of her having to carry that for all these years. So it, it's more impactful, is what I mean. The more mediums you have now, obviously, live would be more impactful than that. You go listen to someone speak talking about that kind of stuff, that's going to be even more impactful. Just like if you watch a concert on your phone, that's one thing. If you watch it on a big screen TV, that's better. You're actually there live? You know, yeah. That's yeah. a totally different experience. I mean, it's not even in the same ballpark. and So it's just different mediums. Well, cool, man. This has been great. We'll wrap up here. Thanks a lot, Anthony, for everything. And we'll be, Yeah, man, we'll be, in, we'll be in touch for sure. Yeah, you guys are the best. Thank you so much for making me feel comfortable, and I appreciate you giving me the chance here. Yeah, thanks for coming on and just being so transparent and sharing your stories, sharing your experience. It was it was really interesting, honestly, to to talk to someone like you, because so many of us watch prison movies and TV shows, and maybe we've talked to me. Sincere sounds like you've talked to many people that have that have served time. I've talked to a few, but not for not this level of depth. So this was really interesting. The one thing I I always did was never, ever wanted to change myself and become institutionalized. I, I always made a point to stay focused, stay positive, and try to better myself once I had my spiritual awakening. Before that, yeah. like, like I said, it was pedal to the metal. If you cross me, it was on. But after yeah. that, I was a different guy, and I'm a thousand percent different guy today. And I'm hopefully going to be somebody that society is proud of. <laughs> That's my goal. Well, I think you're I well. Well, yeah, I don't doubt it at all. I think you're well on your way. Thank you. Well, you have a, yeah, you have a great day, man. This was great. All right. all right. Take care, bro. Now I got to figure out how to shut this thing off. <laughs> I'll go ahead and I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and uh see you freed of this call here. <laughs> all right. Thank you, man. We appreciate it. You take care. All right. That wraps up this week's Live Life Progressively show. Be sure to head over to MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Use the coupon code LLA12 and receive 12% off of your total purchase at either of those websites. Also, for more personal protection tips, make sure you head over to NewWarriorDefense.com. Support the production of the Live Life Progressively show by heading over to Patreon.com and becoming a patron. Simply go to Patreon.com slash LLA Podcast. All Patreon subscribers receive Patreon-only access to our brand new show, Afterlife, which is a brand new behind-the-scenes episode that is not available to the public. Our Patreon subscribers also get to enjoy bigger discounts on all of our products by receiving Patreon-only discount codes beginning at 15% off on all products on MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Lastly, be sure to share the episode by following us on social media, on Facebook, as well as our new account on Instagram. Until the next episode, take care, everybody.